Hey folks, before we begin the podcast proper, there are a few pieces of real life news that are too pressing for us to wait to acknowledge and discuss, and I wanted to address them at the top of the show. On May 2nd, 2022, Politico leaked an initial draft majority opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito on the Supreme Court's decision regarding Dawes vs. Jackson's Women's Health Organization that revealed the Supreme Court has voted to strike down Roe vs. Wade and subsequently Planned Parenthood vs. Casey. By doing so, they intend to revert abortion to... By doing so, they intend to revert abortion to a subject each individual state can regulate, which means that abortion rights will no longer be guaranteed nationwide, leading to stricter limits on abortion access and outright bans on over half of the states in the country, particularly in the South and Midwest, where the most hardcore Christian right types hold power. This decision, if it holds, would challenge the protections of other civil rights as well that were made under the acknowledgement of the right to privacy, and they would be challenged under the argument that they supposedly aren't uh, unenumerated rights strongly rooted in the Constitution, which would include the right to contraception, gay marriage, private consensual sexual activity, and a lot of other civil rights that have been fought so hard for and that we've come to rely upon. It's a dire situation, but I must say that Factually, data for progress has polled and shown that there is no single state in the nation where support for a federal ban on abortion has more than a 30% support among the public. So these institutions that claim they are banning and restricting access to abortion under the pretense of following the will of the people who elected them are wholly illegitimate and should not be accepted as such, and their attempts to control and suppress must be challenged and fought against. And while that statement may not be the most reassuring because these institutions obsolete hold the financial power of military might that allow them to impose their will, we must hold faith that if abortion rights and other civil rights that could be fought for and won before, they can be protected and secured again. But it's still a frightening and stressful time for people who currently need access to abortions and clinics who are being denied those rights by their states and by existing laws that are already making abortion access technically legal but extremely difficult to actually achieve. And I would like to share a few resources that and I would like to share a few resources that I trust where you can learn more about your abortion rights and donate to organizations that help pregnant people receive the finances they need to get an abortion out of state and find doctors and healthcare providers to help them. The Cut posted an article that outlines the ramifications of the court's decision and what its immediate impact would be, and lists several funds to donate to, including and especially in states hostile to abortion and others where it is not protected. Arc Southeast is an organization that supports people who need abortion services in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Tennessee, six of the most hostile states to abortion, offering legal assistance, support groups, education, and financial and logistical help. The National Network of Abortion Funds is a database that allows you to find abortion funds to support nationwide and internationally, as well as other resources to help pregnant people get help, find a clinic, manage abortions using pills, and answer common questions. The Reaper Legal Defense Fund covers bail and funds strong defenses for people 
were criminalized and prosecuted for self-managed abortions. It also lists FAQs about self-managed abortions and resources to know your abortion rights and how to handle interactions with law enforcement if you are arrested for having an abortion. And lastly, Anime Feminist has a very comprehensive page that not only links to the National Network of Abortion Funds and the Bridget Alliance, but also includes links to various articles that link to other grassroots organizations, warn people against misleading crisis pregnancy centers, explore the impact of the repeal of Roe, and the importance of abortion access in the Black community. We will keep our eye open for other abortion access funds and organizations to shout out and promote in the future as the situation develops. We'll do our best to be involved in other community efforts to support the fight for abortion rights and stay informed and educated on what's going on and how to best use our platform to spread awareness as best we can. It is at times like this we must band together to fight for our rights. And even if there's a limit on how much one of us can do alone, donating to these funds and organizations, fighting the good fight, and helping people in your own community that need access to clinics and abortions can make a lot of difference. And even if that's all you can do right now, sometimes that's more than enough to matter and more than enough reason to do it. Before we head into our show proper, I also wanted to take some time to acknowledge and pay respects to the departure of several integral people in the anime manga industry who have sadly passed away within the last month or so. Voice actress Minori Matsushima, best known for her roles as the titular Little Lulu in the Japanese anime adaptation of Little Lulu, as well as Doro in the first Doro TV anime, Candy in Candy Candy, and Mikun in Kanika Man, but I also recognize her for her roles as Suru in One Piece, Nicole Delivia in Most of Her Size, and Kyoko's mom in Raise on a Koku passed away on April 8 of pancreatic cancer at the age of 81. It's interesting how in her career she was best known for playing young children and older women alike. She had a great range, and I really enjoyed all the performances of hers that I'm familiar with, particularly Doro, who is spunk and playfulness. I really think she did a great job bringing to life in the original show. It's really saddening to hear that she passed away from cancer, rather than being able to live out her fullest life peacefully. But she's left behind a legacy of iconic roles that she'll surely be fondly remembered for. There were also two veteran manga creators who passed away recently within days of each other, both of whom were fellow friends and residents of the iconic Tokiwazu apartment building, which housed many early manga creators and pioneers. Toko Yukota passed away on April 8th at the age of 85 due to senility, which is defined, as I understand it, as essentially brain death due to dementia. Yokota's most famous work is perhaps his Margaret Chan series, which debuted in Weekly Margaret in 1963, and he was best known as a shoujo and gay manga artist throughout his career. While he's not as well known as many of his contemporaries and his works are unavailable in English, he was still a part of the community of manga pioneers of Tokiwaso that shaped the industry, and he collaborated extensively with them, especially Fujio Akatsuka and Shotaro Shinomori. And to lose such a veteran talent is a great loss indeed, but 
perhaps the most deeply felt loss of all is perhaps that of Muto Abiko, best known under his pen name as Fujiko Fujioe, one half of the famous Fujiko Fujio duo that created countless iconic characters together. Their most famous were collaboratively being Obake no Kataro. Now, most people have credited Abiko in their obituaries as the co-creator of Doraemon. However, more research, and I credit Art Eater on Twitter for looking into this, seems to indicate that his partner Fujiko F. Fujiko is actually the sole creator of Doraemon, and he has been credited as such since they split apart as creative partners in the late 80s. And so a lot of modern uh, releases of Doraemon in Japan and Thailand, especially, you know, just show have him have the main credit. And Japanese reports of Abiko's death haven't really been mentioning Doraemon in their obituaries when talking about him. So uh, it's reasonable to assume that they both collaborated on Doraemon when they were still working together, even if the main creator of Doraemon is Fujiko F. Fujio alone. But regardless, Apiko made many iconic works of his own, including Ninja Hattori and The Laughing Salesman, both of which being series I've really enjoyed myself. Apiko passed away on April 7th at the age of 88, seemingly just collapsing in his home and passing away due to old age. It's astonishing that he outlived his partner, Fujio of Fujiko, for over 25 years since his passing. Since Fujio F sadly died fairly young in 1996, but Abiko was truly one of the most influential early manga pioneers alongside his creative partner, and the legacy and iconic characters and series he's left behind are truly incredible parts of Japanese pop culture and global pop culture. It's really saddening to lose another titan and trailblazer of the manga world like Abiko. But we thank him for the characters and stories he created that have entertained, at this point, generations of audiences, and will continue to do so long in the future. And so we pay our respects to Abiko, to Yakota, and to Matsushima, offer our condolences to their families, friends, and fans, and just want to dedicate a moment of silence before we begin the show proper to honor their memory. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 198. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamrayasha, and today is the dawn of a podcast that has been a long time coming, both in the planning and the recording and the releasing, and the dawn of a two-part episode covering this series. The acclaimed modern shoujo classic, adventure, epic, 
Yona of the Dawn by Mizuho Kusanagi, which we had the pleasure of talking about with our own Happy Hungry Bunch, our own Dragon Warriors of the Yona fandom, Marion, our good friend from the Good Friends anime podcast, and also from the Demon Slayer podcast network of shows, including Oversoul, Shaman Game Podcast, and Saturday Night Shaggy, alongside a ton of other great projects. And we were really excited to have first time on the show, Caitlin Moore from Anime Feminist and Anime News Network, and Olive St. Sever from But Wido. All these folks were just incredibly on a fans. We had an incredibly fun discussion of the series with them. As we talked about what we loved about all of the characters, our thoughts and theories on the development of the story and the direction of where it's going and the themes explored in the work and through the characters. It was a really fun conversation on a series that has quickly become one of my favorite series to currently keep up with. Oh, no, yeah, for sure. Yon of the Dawn was definitely one of those tiles that I had always wanted to try and get into, and uh, thankfully I got to read at least most of it for the show, and you know that was really fun. I definitely really want to read more, and I think uh, I think this is another one of those series we're going to have to come back to when it ends because man, I I really need to see how Yon of the Dawn ends eventually. Definitely, there's just so much exciting things happening in the story right now. I'm really keen to see where the story is headed. And I hope you will be keen to follow along and hear our thoughts as we are going to allow the sun to rise and begin and dawn upon our conversation of Yona on the Dawn. a new podcast adventure as we're embarking on a journey into one of the most epic modern fantasy adventure manga currently running Mizuho Kusanagi's Yona of the Dawn and joining us on our quest are some legendary dragons of the Yona fandom Marion host of many podcasts like the Good Friends Anime Club Demon Slayer Podcast Oversoul Shamaki Podcast Saturday Night Shamaki so much more and Caitlin editor for Anime Feminist and writer for Anime News Network The Daily Thought and her old blog I Have a Heroin Problem and Olive, writer for But Why Though. Thank you all for joining us as our veritable dragons on this journey. What are your all special dragon powers? Um, damn. Uh, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> you don't know your own dragon powers? What kind of dragon are you? Oh, I have a, I have a dragon mouth. I just, I speak very nicely and I eat a lot. Okay. Nice, okay. nice. I respect it. Very powerful for podcasting. <laughs> How about you, Caitlin Olive? Uh, um, 
maybe. Why, why didn't you prepare me for this? <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, hold on. I have a dragon. Oh, no, hold on. I got one. Maybe you have a dragon brain. That way you, you could take as much time as you need to think about your dragon powers. Yeah, it makes smart analytical opinions. And it gets, and it's um, very slow to get going. (laughs) Uh, That's the one drawback. I mean, everyone's powers have to have some drawback, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Zina has to have, like, that kind of paralysis after using his eyes. And Zeno is kind of weak until he gets hurt a bit. So, you know. Well, and he's in incredible pain all the time from his power. He feels that. And also, he's so very lonely and sad. Yeah. Yeah. Zeno's drawback is trauma. <laughs> Isn't that all of them? Don't all of them except for Gija have some sort of trauma. And even I Gija like had some sort of sadness like, in his past too. Gija's drawback is he has a just visible dragon claw. You can't hide that. Yeah. You just can't yeah. leave no. in public in your hands a dragon claw. <laughs> no, very hard to hide. At least Jeha can disguise it most of the time because he can yeah. wear like boots and socks and hide in his pants and yeah. stuff. He's a little There's dragon, a dragon in my boots. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he also had trauma. <laughs> they all have trauma. The theme. Uh, <laughs> dragon oh. trauma. But we didn't ask your power, Olive. What did, oh. What's your power? Um. Okay, if I can't pick one of the already established dragon powers, because I would love Jayha's just so I don't have to deal with traffic. I would like Smart. the power to sleep like a big powerful dragon, like <laughs> even like smog, uh. because I am notorious for not being able to maintain a proper sleep schedule. So that would mm. make my life much easier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would that sounds so good. <laughs> I feel that. Just the power of having a good night's sleep. That's probably Just, the most enviable power of all. I'm just, I want to be smog on just the most uncomfortable bed of, like, metal gold, and no one can wake me. <laughs> mm. oh I guess I'm gosh. pretty good at catching, so maybe I, maybe I have a dragon hand. Okay. Just a, big old dra- just a big old dragon hand, just, like, trying to catch a baseball or something. <laughs> pretty funny. I like that. Catcher's mitt. Yeah. I guess I would have... Maybe a dragon's. Well, I don't want to do dragon hand again, but I guess dragon's fingers because I draw. I draw mostly for a living. So you just you just have like a normal hand, but like really big, long dragon fingers. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how that helps with art. Actually, in fact, that seems like it would get in the way to have big fingers. It's like I can't hold this pencil really well. You have retractable claws like Wolverine. Ah, oh, there you go. Well, actually, I don't know how that helps with drawing either. That's a good point. <laughs> it's they like just, I shred the paper every time I try. It's like, oh, shoot, ruin this. They're not retractable claws. They're retractable colored pencils. Oh, oh my okay. God, that'd be great. Yeah, like art, I have retractable art supplies that I can manifest. Now, that'd be great. They're artistic dragon. Yeah, Rainbow. The rainbow dragon, because I have so many colored pencils and markers in my body that I can I love manifest. That. <laughs> That's pretty sweet, actually. You could just love call that. it the dragon's dexterity. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that even sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we all have cool powers, and thank you for <laughs> joining us to bring your powers into our discussion today, because this is a podcast that's been a long time coming for us to do on this show, Yona for Dawn. Like, it's a series that for, like, three years, even, like, ah, this will be the year we do it. And it's just, for <laughs> reason or another, we've kept pushing them up, but finally, we're doing it, and it's a good time to do it, because 30 volumes are out, which is a good, like, clean, round number. So, yeah, like... And there's been big plot developments throughout these films, so it feels like a good time to do this podcast, and we definitely want to bring on some big fans of the series to talk about it with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, no, sure. for sure. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to just <laughs> talk about Yona. I'm like, with yes. all my friends, I'm like the door-to-door preacher except my bible or my holy book is yona of the dawn and i'm like have you heard the good word yes <laughs> i know i'm always trying to get people to read yona of the dawn it's just such a perfect introduction to shoujo manga for people who like i didn't say for people who don't like shoujo manga i mean obviously i love shoujo manga but for people who have the impression that shoujo manga is like one kind of thing yeah and Yona is very much yeah. a different Yeah, thing. absolutely. If you're of the mindset that shoujo manga is just like high school romances, Yona Don will mm-hmm. shatter those perceptions. So that is a really great thing about it that makes it a great entryway. So that if you if you like like battle manga of any sort, you'll love Yona the Don because the action scenes that Kusanagi draws are just incredible. Oh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things. I was, I was going to say on the other side of things, you know, it's it's kind of like when people online are always like, oh, shonen manga is just all battle manga, when that's clearly not true either, you know? Yeah, um, yeah Colton, sure. there's also harem manga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, there's a lot of it, I won't lie, but, you know, like, people constantly putting things in the boxes that can only be mm-hmm. one thing is something that's kind of a pet peeve of mine personally, so. Oh, Yeah. yeah. Hundred percent, especially because like I I love a good high school show events. They're all good. I think it's, but it is definitely a good introduction. Like to me, a just across demographics and genres. When someone says to me, "I love fantasy," I'm like, "You mm-hmm. should read Yona." Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But here, before we get on any further, Lum, do you want to talk of just a little bit about what Yona of the Dawn is actually about? Sure, Yona the Dawn follows the journey of the eponymous Yona, the crimson-haired teenage princess of a pan-Asian amalgam of Korea, Japan, and China called Koka. Koka is a coalition of five different tribes that are all kind of united. The Earth Tribe, Fire Tribe, Water Tribe, Wind Tribe, Sky Tribe, and the tribe that holds the most influence is usually home to the nation's king, and in this case, it's Yona's Sky Tribe. And at the beginning of this story, Yona is in love with her first cousin, Suwon, and has kind of a love-hate relationship with her bodyguard, Hawk, both of whom have been her longtime childhood friends. And on the day of her 16th birthday, she finally kind of professes and confesses her love to Suwon, and is about to go tell her father about it so that he can give his blessing for the relationship. But in doing so, she finds him being murdered by Suwon himself. And it turns out Suwon has staged a coup against her father, King Il, because of the king's pacifistic and non-interventionist policies that have put the country in dire straits and had tried to foreign invasions, and also as revenge for uh, King Il murdering his father, Yuhan. And so, at the urging of his advisor, Keishuk, Suwon also nearly executes Yona, but she's rescued by Hawk, and they go on the run. And then after a 
brief sojourn in the Wind Tribe, in which Yona kind of regains her conviction from her traumatic experience and decides to move forward from her grief to get strong and protect herself and seek revenge. And then in a skirmish with Fire Tribe soldiers, during which, like, it appears that they fell from a cliff and they are left for dead, they encounter a priest named Iksu who tells them about the founding myth of Koka, a legend about a crimson dragon god who came down to Earth to found a nation, and four dragon warriors who are given blood by other dragon gods to protect their beloved companion. And Iksu tells them that the dragon warriors are still out there in Koka, they've been reincarnated throughout the generations, and she should seek the current dragon warriors for help on her journey to reclaim her throne. And over the course of her journey, meeting, befriending the dragons, Yona gets stronger, more confident in her skills in combat, and also just as a person, as a leader. And she realizes that the people of Koka are suffering from a ton of problems due to her father's mismanagement as a ruler. And so rather than reclaim the throne, she ultimately just resolves to do what she can, kind of as a wandering nomad, going around the kingdom to help improve the living conditions of the people, stamp out criminals and corrupt government officials, exploiting them. And during these adventures, she also repeatedly encounters Suwon and realizes that he's also doing his best to improve things in Kingdom and is achieving results. And while she's unable to forgive him for murdering the father, she ultimately lets go of the grudge as the story goes on. But as Yona and companions achieve results in helping improve things in the Koka Kingdom and neutralizing foreign threats, their reputation grows amongst the people who believe in the legend of the Dragon Warriors and start worshipping her and treating them as godly beings, which starts to divide the loyalties of the people between Yuan and Yona and threatens to factionalize that unified kingdom that Suwon decided to create. And that's kind of where the story is now. That's kind of what it's grappling with. But there's a lot that happens in Yona. It really is such an awesome adventure story because we really get to know the entire kingdom of Koka on Yona's journey. I love the way that this series kind of is structured in its plotting in terms of we learn about the different tribes, we spend time with them, learn how the people live, learn the ailments of each locality, and then we also start learning about the other countries and what's going on with them. So I really like the world building in Yona. I really like how the plot is laid out. But yeah, I think that's just a brief kind of a summation of the, the story of Yona. But I, before we dig more into the story and characters, I kind of want to address like how each of us kind of discovered Yona, got into Yona, like what really appealed to us about it when we first started reading it. And I think. You know, for Colton and I, the story is pretty brief. At least for me, like, I first heard of this Yona when the anime came out. And I the first episode, I think, led people to be a little lukewarm about it. But I heard really good things about it as it went on. And so I did check it out. And I made it through a few episodes. And then when the manga came out for this, I kept up with that release for a couple of volumes too. But fell off on it as well just because I got distracted. So this podcast is really the first time I've really caught up on, like, the entirety of the story that's out so far in English. But yeah, I, I'm interested in Caitlin, Mary, and Olive. What are your histories and experiences with Yona? Whoever wants um, to start first. I mean, yeah, mine isn't that interesting or exciting. Uh, new anime were coming out. People were talking about Yona saying, oh, well, there's this one shoujo adaptation. It kind of seems like a throwback, though, to like 90s series. And I was like, hello? 
Throwback to 90s shoujo series. You mean the series that got me into anime? Because right. I grew up on Fushigi Yugi <laughs> and yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I watched Yona. I'm like, holy crap, this is the shoujo anime that I've been wanting <laughs> for years. Um, I watched it. I loved it when the Viz started releasing the manga in English. I got on right on that train, which I'm glad I did, because I would not want to catch up with it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> 30 volumes if you didn't get on the, if you haven't started buying it before you might have a hard time now it's worth it um, though <laughs> mm-hmm, totally mm-hmm. worth it I love it so much um, yeah not really like a super interesting or exciting story just good old fashioned found what I wanted found something that I wanted loved it and now continue to love it it's really cool to hear. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, I'll, I'll go just because um, I think mine's pretty similar to Caitlin's. Um, I think I was, I've gone through a little phase where I think just because of life and things, I really hadn't been keeping up with like manga and anime for a while. And then I was kind of getting back into it. And I'll, I'm pretty shameless on Maine. So I'll admit, I think I was, it was like, 10 p.m. at night, I'm like, I want a reverse horror manga (laughs) (laughs) or an anime, actually, because I was just searching both manga and anime, and I think I just was on, like, my anime list or something, and I think I was searching through series I liked, like Fushigi Yugi, and, like, I want a big fantasy verse harem. I knew what I wanted. I clicked all the tags, and Yona came up as, like, a top-recommended one, and... Obviously, the manga wasn't available in English, so but the anime was airing, or I just aired, and I watched and just like binged the anime, and I was like, "What <laughs> is this? This is the greatest thing." So similar to Kane, I was like, "I this is amazing. This because that's the exact style I like," and I fell in love and have been reading the manga ever since. And now I'm allowed to write reviews for the manga, so I'm on cloud nine about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Nice. And all of your reviews have been excellent. Like, I mean, you're covering some really great story material. Like, Yona just keeps getting better and better. And yeah. I think there's one quote that you had where, like, Yona consistently gets top scores because it's just that good. I totally agree. Yeah, because I try really hard in my reviews to be like, yes, everyone knows I'm a fan of the series, but I'm not just giving it five out of five stars because of that. Like, no, guys, legit. There's a re- It's so well done. But actually, it is that good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I guess my introduction to Yona was the season that it like premiered. I guess that was around the time where I think it was like what, like twenty fourteen. That was like near the time where I had like a lot of free time because I was like I was like a sophomore in college, so I I was watching a lot of anime. And then uh, around that time, uh, I would also I would browse ANN like every day, and I saw that. Rebecca Silverman was doing the the streaming reviews, and that's like one of my favorite reviewers on the site. Uh, and oh, I was like, she's oh. great. Yeah, I was like, I'll, I'll trust anything that that she likes. So uh, I ended up checking it out, and I was like, wait, this is this is really good. What's going on? Like the 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 soundtrack was like was incredible. Oh. The the acting, I was a huge fan of Chiwa Saito and Tomaki Mayano because uh, oh man, I forgot what she was in. I think she was in Monogatari. I think, and that's mm. when I like. I was like, oh, I got to keep an eye out for this actress because she's really good. 
and then uh and hawk was you know incredibly sexy and everything and i'm like all right cool <laughs> this time let's just let's just dive deep into it and uh yeah like i i think i started um like after the anime ended like i was like i need more and i ended up getting the the volumes in, in japanese and like catching up and i'm like all right yeah perfect well <laughs> once uh we got the english release too i was like this is just what i needed <laughs> it's been like that ever since i'm so happy you mentioned the anime soundtrack because oh it's so, so good. a place in the sun for hack that specific track has just been like my writing background music for years mm. because i love it so much <laughs> oh man yeah. it's really Rebecca good Silverman is a really good reviewer by the way and also a lovely person Mm. Oh, nice! Very, you, you know her like that? Well, we both write for ANN. Oh, okay. So yeah, no, I've, 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 um, and we're not like close friends or anything, but I've like, you know, talked to her, and she's super sweet. Oh, that's awesome! I don't awesome. know how she that's writes. Cool. She, that's rad. I don't know how she writes so fast. Oh, oh she's so <laughs> prolific! Like I'm so, it's so impressed at how much she can cover. It's incredible, uh, but. Yeah, no, total yeah. sweetheart. I love her. I kind of want to be best friends with her. <laughs> yeah, me too, to be honest. That's, she's like one of my writing <laughs> inspirations. That's really cool to hear. I guess I can just kind of go over my stuff kind of quickly here because uh, I, I mean, so so here's the thing. I I had a, one of my best friends actually uh, showed me the first episode of Yona like years and years ago. I think around the time it came out, maybe 2015-ish or something, and I... I remember she was really into it, and she really wanted to show me, like, the first episode or two, and um, I don't know what it was about it, because, like, cause, like I, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is kind of interesting, I guess, but, like, I I wonder if it was just around that time where I wasn't as open to shoujo manga then, because it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, this is kind of cool, I guess, but it wasn't, like, pulling me in for some reason, and I, I can't really, like, explain why I just, maybe I just wasn't in the mood for it. So I, I just kind of like, I just kind of really never really like thought about it again uh, until, you know, our listeners, you know, voted for this series in particular for us to cover during our surveys or whatever. And um, I have to say, like re reading through the manga, I think this is one of those things where uh, the first volume really got me like because, you know, uh, obviously the first volume is, you know, we explained how it started off with, you know, Suwon killing Yona's father and taking over the kingdom. And then after that, you know, having her escape the kingdom with Hawk and all throughout, you know, we're getting all these like small flashbacks about them and kind of their times as kids. And I think that really like, that really like had me endeared to the characters because by the end of the volume, I'm just like, why can't these kids just be happy? I just want them to be friends, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I, I think that first volume actually like really pulled me in. And just talking about the anime a little bit, like, I don't know, for some reason, like, uh, I've always had this, like, memory in my head of, like, the anime not being good. I don't know why. Hmm. Because, you know, I've looked up, like, clips and trailers and stuff, and I'm just like, oh, wow, this actually looks a lot better than I remembered it being. Maybe I should, like, get on this or something. And, like, the opening's great, the music's great, I was kind of listening to a little bit of it before we got on the call today. And I don't know, like, it is one of those things where, like, I'm a little disappointed that, like, we still haven't, like, gotten any more of it, because I, I think people would yeah. eat it up, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll try the anime after this, because it actually, again, it looks a lot better than I remembered it being. It's, no, it's, it's great. very good. It's great. It's hard, too, because I think with 
even though it's 20, like 24 episodes, it still really feels like the anime and what it covers. It almost is like the prologue. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it like ends it's right where Zeno shows yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, they collect the four dragon warriors and that's where the, yeah. the story ends. Mm -hmm. in the anime. Their adventures like, continue. <laughs> yeah, and there's just so much more to the adventure for me. Right? And I always tell no, people yeah. too, when they like first encounter Yona, I think some people don't realize... You, you're not necessarily supposed to like her when you first meet her. No, no. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I, I was, because the anime opens on with this, like, very brief scene of her, like, standing on a cliff looking powerful, and it almost feels like an assurance, like, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's she's gonna, <laughs> gonna get yeah. better. <laughs> she's gonna get better, but, like, I feel like when I watched it, because I didn't know the manga at all when I watched the anime, because it wasn't out in English at all. I just sort of had this instinctive sense that, like, this is not it for the character. Like, mm. maybe just because my genre awareness, because I read all of these and watched all of these shoujo anime and manga from the 90s, where, you know, they were isekai, so it was about this girl going to another world, and she grows and she changes, because that's what isekai used to be about, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, not anymore. There's no growing and changing. Red no. There's no growing and changing anymore. Because <laughs> um, isekai's like, you're cool how you are. Wouldn't it be good if you went to a world where all of your useless skills were actually super helpful? But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, but 90 shoujo isekai. Let's, like, Go to the center of your trauma and have deep personal growth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that reminds me, <laughs> Caitlin, just because like, you, you mm -hmm. were saying about the the OST, I just looked it up and the guy who did the, the music for Yona... 12 was, Kingdoms. Yeah, 12 Kingdoms and Emma. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait. Yes. Hold on. <laughs> everything yeah, is, perfect everything is lighting He's, up. <laughs> he, does the, he does those beautiful, like... And he also did Sai and Koku. Mm. Okay. So, but this genre awareness sort of carried me through going, this is not just who Yona's going to stay for the whole series. She's definitely going to grow and change, and this is just, you have to see where she starts. Because mm -hmm. the growth is so much more satisfying that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely we are supposed to be given like the impression of Yona is kind of like this spoiled, sheltered princess at the beginning of the story. But it is clearly like a setup meant to be okay, but then being thrust into the situation where she's forced to like go out of her comfort zone, she's clearly going to have to grow and develop. And that's one of the strongest points of the manga is Yona's growth into like someone who is fully capable, confident herself and her strength and is a true leader that other look up to and inspire people. And I think that's mm -hmm. one of the most compelling parts uh, about Yona. And Absolutely. And I always love rereading because you see in that first volume once you know where she goes, you like see those hints of that of how, you know, it is always there. Like, yes, she's kind she's kind of a spoiled brat in the beginning, but you know, she's she's a 16-year-old girl who's a princess, mm -hmm. and this is kind of all she knows. She has been very sheltered. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't even consider her like boy crazy. She's just madly in love with one boy, and she's kind of like, don't tell me who I can and can't marry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah which you know respect. yeah no she's 
She's frivolous. Very. There we go. That's the word. She's definitely frivolous because, like you said, that's all she's been raised to do. That's all she's ever known. They don't even really raise her properly to be queen. The understanding is like, you're going to marry a man and that man will be king. Yeah. And so she doesn't have to worry about anything but, you know, her clothes and her hair and Suwon and all that stuff. Stupid yeah. sexy Suwon. Uh, <laughs> most fascinating kind of antagonist out he there. really is absolutely yeah that was also that was like admittedly one one of the draws like i seeing like the story like continue like in the anime and then like afterwards just how he like he like clawed his way to power but he's not like he's not using his power for like corrupt means like he genuinely wants to improve the lives of his citizens because he saw like how the people in charge were basically like corrupt during King Il's reign and like seeing mm -hmm. like seeing like both Yona and Suwon like try to improve Koga from within is like it's a really fascinating like draw mm -hmm. I think. yeah I mean ultimately their goals are aligned because they both want to help uplift the people of Koka, improve living conditions throughout the country and just strengthen Koka so that it's not as much as threat from like being invaded or so it the economy improves and everything so it's like they all like both have the same goals and so like in every arc after a certain point they're interacting with each other because they both come to these places to help improve things Jonah is usually a step ahead of Suwon in this regard mm -hmm. but it, yeah, I yeah. do really like that I like that rather than this being a story about a royal character being asked for a throne and then trying to take back the throne from the illegitimate uh, usurper. It's really more of a story about these two different people like trying to help the kingdom they love and the people they love in their own way. Mm -hmm. And they are foils for each other, but I wouldn't say they are each other's enemies, especially as the series goes on right. and they come to recognize yeah. that. Yeah, that... Yeah, that was interesting. So, so my th my thing with reading this series because I um I mean, first off, I just want to apologize to everybody listening because uh, I didn't get to catch up. Unfortunately, I only got about eighteen volumes in due to par partly due to like time. The past couple months have been kind of busy from on my end, but also like it's kind of weird going from because uh, for those of you listening, we uh, recently just put up an episode of, uh, talking about Tokyo Revengers in particular. Oh. And, um, oh, that's a big, <laughs> a big change. <laughs> what a shift. Yeah. And um, I, I don't, I don't want to make this sound like I'm trying to like compare the two at all, because obviously they're apples and oranges, but like, it is interesting going from something like Tokyo Revengers, where like I was literally reading like maybe three to four volumes in one sitting, because I just couldn't put it down. And not to say that, like, Yona isn't a good read, but it's one of those things where, like, I, you know, like Lum said just now, like, I, I definitely thought this, sto this story was going one direction, and it's clearly not going in the, in the direction I thought it was going. Like, I, I genuinely thought at first, like, oh, Yona's gonna have to, like, take back her throne, and that's why she's uh, searching for all these, uh, all these dragon warriors or whatever, and that's, and it's gonna lead up to a big battle or whatever to take back the throne, but it's not, mm -hmm. but it's not really that, and that's interesting to me. Like, Yona seems to be okay with, like, 
being this kind of like vigilante figure going around writing the wrongs of her of her father's rule, which is which is really interesting to me. Like, well, she had that whole sorry to interrupt. She had that whole conversation with Ixu, right? Where Ixu's like, what do you want? Yeah. How do you want this to end? And she's just just like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to take back the throne. Right now, I'm just learning about my kingdom and about the situation we're in. She's like, mm-hmm. I'm 16. Yeah. I can't, I'm not equipped right now to rule the country. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, and it's that acknowledgement that just really mm-hmm. shows, like, how much she's growing. Like, yeah. just, like, she was so ignorant and now uh, she acknowledges it and she, she's doing her best to, like, make sure she's not the same like that. It would be yeah, certainly yeah. easier if Suwon was a tyrant, but he's not. And I think the right. reason it works is because Suwon himself, in the moments he interacts with Yona, even though he knows that she sees his reasons behind what he did, he never asks her to, he never asks for that forgiveness or that excusal mm-hmm. or justification. Like, he tried to kill her to make his mm-hmm. time easier, and now that didn't work. And now he's sees her living with that trauma and i think because that forgiveness or justification is never demanded it makes it work because it just gives it so many more layers now i Mm -hmm. i love the complexity of their relationship the first time she like sees him in per they see each other in person for the first time since his since his coup and they just like stare at each other and she realizes that she wants to hate him. She wants to want to kill him. But it's so much more complicated than that. And just, oh, yeah. man. And, he and then when you add Hawk into that... Yeah. It gives them such so much space to, for these emotions that are so much more complicated than you killed my father and therefore I hate you and want to kill you. And just... Or, right. Yeah, because, and how her and Hawk have just such different ways of processing their grief, because <sighs> Hawk is so oh, visibly angry and oh, he's so angry and violent, versus Yona, who literally calls him out at one point, being like, just because I don't want to kill him doesn't mean I've forgiven him. Don't, mm-hmm. don't misunderstand here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Man. but she can put her feelings in check and she prioritized like Mm -hmm. what is the best for the people around her and like is willing like kind of to put her feelings to sue on aside in order to you know work with him for the benefit like in the Mm -hmm. water tribe arc like working together with him to help resolve the nadai importation situation bring down yo which is something that hawk like at that point in the story came to he's just like fueled with rage and bitterness and resentment of like Su Wan, someone he like he really trusted and admired as like one of his mm-hmm. best friends, like just taking away like his world and the people hurting people he cared about the most in Yona mm-hmm. and it just being fueled with rage and yeah, that scene at the end of that arc where he's like just going berserk, like just oh. trying to get at Su Wan, oh saying you'll never forget him and trying to kill him and like fighting off the other dragon wars as they're trying to hold him back. And, like, only being stopped after Yona, like, just, like, confronts him and says, hey, it's okay. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And, like, okay. yeah. And Hawk's development from that point and, like, under, 
reconciling his feelings towards Sonon are mm-hmm. so interesting too because it eventually does get to the point where they do ultimately end up working together at the end of one arc where wow. because they they have they know each other so they have to trust each other but even after that point hawk still has complicated feelings to Juan. he doesn't really want to see someone because he doesn't know what he might do and that's so interesting like he's still grappling that at the point and of the story how he never opens up like that explosion of rage on this stranger that's the first time the dragon war the other dragons like his whole found family even know really yeah that this is the mm-hmm. person and just like how much trauma it, it really is kind of in a way the series is kind of has another layer of like a slow burn study of grief in very different forms it's <laughs> it's wonderful it's it's such there's so many like complicated emotions going on in it and i love that about it and suan at the same time he seems to have made peace with the idea that someday yona might come and kill him right and take Mm -hmm. back the throne he's like i don't expect to live a long time i know what i did was terrible i'm not going to i'm not going to kill yona i just want i just wanted to do what what i could while i was alive and change things and honestly if yona did come and kill him and and take the throne back for herself tomorrow he would have what he would have basically accomplished a lot of what he wanted to because now instead of like this like frivolous girl and whoever like whoever she ended up marrying being on the throne and just sort of continuing her father's disastrous policies she would be a competent ruler Mm -hmm. Mm. oh man so it's i love like i keep saying this but i love how there's so much room for complexity especially after like years of like kind of chasing that same sort of feeling that the 90s mm-hmm. isekai shoujo gave yeah. me yeah. and never really like and never really reaching it and part of it is because i'm not a teenager anymore so i don't respond to media totally the same way but i just feel like like i read dawn of the arcana and dawn of the arcana is fine <laughs> but it needed to be at least three times as long right? as it was for it was the too story short. it wanted mm-hmm. to tell way too <laughs> short mm-hmm Way too short. It needed to be a Yona level epic yeah. to tell that story. Um <laughs> Maybe that's why the Ray Thomas doing King's Beast now to explore that world more. Yeah, I'm curious to see how that series goes. Yeah, I haven't checked mm-hmm. out Water Dragon's Bride yet. I wonder if that one's better. I hmm. I have mixed feelings on it. I think it definitely you can see Ray Thomas storytelling and like sense of structure and the length and the length needed to tell the story they want to tell um, is improved. So I would say, storytelling-wise, I did prefer Water Dragon's Bride over Dawn of the Arcana, but I like the world of Dawn of the Arcana a lot more. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of happy uh, she's going back to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Race Thomas are other works we definitely got to check out on this show at some point. But oh, yeah, on sure. the subject of Suwan, like I do find it fascinating that he bears this kind of burn of guilt. Like even though he saw killing Camille as a necessary action, like he himself has not really forgiven himself for like betraying Yona and Hawk. And so I really do love like in that scene where Hawk is like going after him at the end of the Water Tribe arc, like he was kind of frozen in place there because. He didn't really know what to react, and he didn't really have a self-preservation instinct. Like, kind of in that moment, he almost was, like, about to let Hawk do 
like maybe kill him and then he's kind of chewed out by judo afterwards saying like judo is asking him why did you stand there what did you become king to do have you accomplished what you're going to do like don't just throw your life away like that so i feel like su Wan, he has this feeling of purpose that he needs to make go like a strong nation he needs to improve things before all of a sudden done but then he's willing to like whatever be will be for him and i there's a really interesting moment at the end of the uh say arc where he's kind of asked by Zeto, so what do you want to do do you want to be king or future and like he's he tells and i'm like you know i don't really have any strong feelings about being king or whatever like i'm just doing mm-hmm. like what i need to do and then Zeno has a very interesting kind of like, okay, like young king of uh, Koka. So there's some interesting stuff going on with Suwan and, and Yona's relationship. And also like this idea generally of like who has the right to rule and whether like this divine providence, this divine right of kings has more authority to the throne than someone like Suwan who has kind of taken the throne but is doing all these good things. Like in his using his power to help out like the entirety of his country, so I think that's such an interesting like conflict that is explored in this series, especially as it goes on. And this idea of like Yona and the Dragon Warriors being kind of worshipped as like kind of these divine entities, kind of comes more into the forefront and puts that more in conflict into like Sawan's authority on the throne and like people's loyalties to Sawan. Yeah. yeah, I also I thought that was a really interesting approach to the story as well because uh when it came to like like Zeno's conversations with uh Suwan and he was uh, I think he questioned him once like do you want the power of the dragons and he's like no I don't need any power from the gods or yeah. whatever like I'm I'm gonna do everything in my power that I can do and then like his approach is very I don't know what the word is maybe like populist like he he's all about like empowering the people from mm-hmm. like of his country like through like their own means like he he wants he wants the country to be able to stand up on its own even after like maybe he's gone and there's like another i guess like incompetent ruler like so that it doesn't like burn itself to the ground right and that's another interesting thing is that there's an awareness one has of the legend of the dragon warriors like we see flashbacks that king ill had told him about the legend of the dragon warriors and then we have more inklings as the series goes on that like more people knew about yuna being the reincarnation of the crimson dragon king then was really let on. Suwan actually had an awareness of that as well. So it really does feel like Suwan has rejected this kind of idea of like divine intervention and relying on that to improve things in the Koko Kingdom and wants to use the power of the of himself, the power of the people, just to improve things and not wait for any prophecy or whatever to come into effect that will say that, oh, with the reemergence of the the dragon king and his dragon warriors and the country of coca will be saved he doesn't want to wait for that and i think that does also frame a lot of the actions of like maybe why king yell did what he did is that he was he was so non-interventionist because he what believed in that it was like just waiting for that it was like okay everything's going to work out because Jonas is reincarnation and then everything's going to go according to his prophecy and didn't do anything because of that but then Suwan saw that, no, like, things are bad now. The people are suffering now. We can't wait for this. And I don't believe 
in this. So I think that's just a super interesting conflict in the series. Definitely. Yeah, I, 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 I like I like that about King Ill in particular and how like he clearly had good intentions, but like he was still like sort of complacent as a ruler and still didn't really like yeah. help anyone. Yeah. I, just, I just find that interesting. The road yeah. to hell is paved with good intentions. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think something too I love about Yona is it's it's almost a series you have to reread because there's mm-hmm. so much yeah. notice later. Because like the first time and correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, but the very first time we encounter Suwon again after his betrayal, where all of us are basically in hacks zone of it, of like, screw you. And <laughs> Yona's basically trying to stab him and he stops her. And we're all just like, get him, Yona, get him. And he literally, I'm pretty sure he says, I know you want to kill me, just not yet. Like, it's not even that mm-hmm. he's saying you can't kill me. It's you just can't yeah. do it yet. Mm-hmm. Like no. going back to what yeah, you were yeah. saying, yeah. Like, you see all of these notes where there's this acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And even when people are freaking out about like, oh, Yona's the Crimson Dragon King, everyone seems to kind of ignore that what Yona wants, except for the main party, which is mm-hmm. she more just needed a family. And she's never like, they're not, I'm not going to use them to take over some kingdom. That's not they're not my slaves. They're not my property. They're people. I just wanted friends and protection if they were willing. And now we're just family. Right. Yeah. Because she lost everyone. Yeah. Except yeah, for Hawk, no, the I, best I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering if um, all the stuff with Suwon Hawk sort of talking about how like he is at peace with the idea of dying with only a few short years into his reign, if that's going to be foreshadowing, or if they're going to to sidestep that somehow, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh. <laughs> I think the idea of like, so part of the prophecy is this idea of the sword and the shield will appear when all the four dragon warriors are assembled, and since that was mentioned, it's kind of been you know like a long time since that has come up again. But I do wonder, especially with, like, the comments Zeno had after Suwon, after, you know, yeah, Suwon, like, do you want the power of dragon warriors? Do you want to be king? Suwon says he doesn't really, like, want to use that, but then, like, Zeno acknowledges him as king anyway. Like, I feel like maybe the sword and shield is really just Yona and Hawk protecting Suwon and Suwon as the king of Koka. I, I do have a whole theory about the sword and shield, but it's interesting because I hadn't thought of it that way, though. Yeah, like, rather than Yona being, like, the f- future ruler of Koka, and it's, especially with, like, Yona not really having those aspirations right now, I do feel like, ultimately, the roles that the Dragon Wars Yona best have in protecting Koka is, like, being this nomadic group that goes around and helps out like situations that are in trouble in the country and then helps Suwon like maintain the peace and maintain the the good of the kingdom in that way. And I think like considering like all the arcs so far have been them working in cooperation kind of in different ways to help out different territories and resolve different conflicts. I think that'd be a really interesting direction and resolution for the series to go with in terms of that i'm not sure if i could ever see 
because anytime they work together, it is still so reluctant. Like, I don't know if I could mm-hmm. ever see them like ruling side by side or being fully cooperative because like Yana said, like she may not want to kill him, but I mean, nothing's going to erase what he did to her. Right. No, she doesn't forgive him, which is also a really Very. cool thing. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny you bring up the sword and shield because I have I have a whole theory about <laughs> it. <laughs> Do tell. Uh, can I? Can we tell theories? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I'll try not to tangent too hard. I I've, I'm pretty sure the sword is hacked, and then mm-hmm. my thing with the shield is it's either going to be Suan and he's going to die as the shield, or it's Yoon. That's what I've been thinking. I've been thinking the Yoon, shield is Yoon because Yoon's had that. You need to have a place in the prophecy, right? Yeah, and he's had That'd that whole nice. thing this yeah. whole time. He's had his own individual arc of how can I be there and protect my friends beyond just being a medic, even though what he does is incredibly important. But mm-hmm. he's having that whole arc, and I'm just like, with how good this series has been about dropping hints and foreshadowing to later events, I'm like, what if Yoon is shield? Oh, I love nice. that idea. <laughs> Especially since Yoon is like kind of the, the nurturing force of the group, like kind of in a way, their heart, if Yuna is not also that. It's like Yoon is someone who kind of keeps everyone kind of tethered together and looks He's out the for mom. them. He's yeah, an exactly. emotional center. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be an awesome thing. I'd also be more than thrilled if he wasn't because I also think he has power in being like the one, I mean, aside from Hack, the one like, for lack of better phrasing, normal, like mm-hmm. non- <laughs> prophesized person in the group but i think it'd be cool if he got the shield bit that's my theory yeah especially because the role of the shield is to protect right yeah the fact that he's he's basically like the cleric of the group where he uh, keeps everyone healthy and like his role i guess as a shield would be to you know protect and keep the rest of the people safe with his knowledge like his medical knowledge Hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially because, like, him, like, how he, like, uh, he acquires more knowledge just, like, through their travels and, like, how him and uh, being able to, like, use the knowledge from their travels together, mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to have, a like, a longer lasting impact on whatever the, the climax is going to be. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I really get the sense that there's not going to be a lot of wasted, wasted adventures in the long run. Mm-hmm. I just, okay, I want to complain, honestly, we've been talking so positively. I have one, like, can I go? Yeah, yeah, for a yeah, go ahead. Yeah, critiques. now's our time to shit on Yoda. The- no, I'm just kidding. Critique my favorite uh, media, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> Alright, am, am I, lo- well, it's not really a critique, more like a petty bitching. <laughs> Are we allowed to curse? Yeah, yeah no go worries ahead. about that. Okay. Okay. Um, Fuck it. <laughs> sometimes sometimes podcasts don't just say the worst like thing possible <laughs> fantastic my sensor is um, off <laughs> i really thought that the um how do you say it xing zing arc x-i-n-g mm-hmm. yeah xing mm-hmm. yeah xing the one with yeah. um yeah Jing, the one with the two princesses yeah I thought that was a really weak arc. Really? really? I oh, didn't man. Really like it. Oh, I really um, like that arc. But My big take, I just, I thought it was, the pace was off. I didn't really feel like I knew any of the characters by the end of it. Like, the princesses hmm. were both kind of ciphers. Koren was hot. 
Oh, Don't get so me wrong. Corin is such <laughs> Arica energy. I have a like, big ass gay crush. Yeah, Corin's awesome. Yeah, uh, but but I just I I wasn't. Maybe it was just because I was sort of in like the gotta catch up, gotta catch up mode when I was reading it. Uh-huh. But I just I didn't feel like it really advanced too much. I can see that, especially because it was one of the. I think it was the first arc where so much of the cast. Is new. They were separated. Yeah, but that's actually what I kind of really liked about it is that it was Yona being put in a position where she had to protect and save the dragon warriors mm-hmm. after they've been captured. And she goes independent from Hawk during the arc too. So she basically goes on her own and confronts right. Suwon on her own to get him to stand down to going to this war. So this was such, I thought it was such a really good uh, arc for Jonas development in a way that she's like so d- independent in that arc that she separates from all the people that have been protecting her up until that point and she like achieves the result she wants in terms of like getting she wants to agree to the negotiation for the armistice and then like convincing Koren also to go along with that and I really I really really like that and I really liked Eric in that respect. I also, I did I, like I the Jing characters. I, I liked uh, some of the world being done with the Jing and Coca, you know, previous war relationship and like how that puts them in the complete present day and kind of like this idea of like this lingering fear and trauma motivating like both sides to not trust each other, to not go mm-hmm. to war. So they're going to go to war, even though that's going to lead to some incredible casualties. And on Jing's part, it's going to basically be kind of almost a suicide mission for Corinne and her soldiers. But I thought that was super fascinating. Yeah. I it think it had yeah, some really good fair. revelations for like kind of what, uh, Juan did in the past and like his cruelty which is like okay so there's a reason this guy was not put in the line suggestion why King Yellow got it over him it's like he did some really cruel things which I think is is some also good kind of uh, yeah. world building character building of like the greater mystery behind like you know the politics of uh, Coca and how that ties with maybe the Crimson Dragon thing, because we know that Yuhan also was the one who drove the priest from Koka, and he didn't believe in the Dragon Legend. So there's in- there was so much interesting, I thought, stuff in terms of developing the world and developing characters and that. So I, I really like that arc, but yeah. No, definitely. I, I can also see what Caitlin's saying, though. It also is like this arc where you meet the two Shing princesses, you also meet their whole, basically their equivalent yeah. of the Dark Dragon and the Happy Hungry Bunch. And then you have all these character deaths and it's kind of a lot of quick getting the emotional and relationship yeah. attachment and then cutting off. So I can definitely see where in comparison yeah. to such a yeah, slow I burn. can agree on the antagonists. Like I think some yeah. of them were better developed than others, but like Mizari in particular, like you know, Mizari. when they tried to make us uh, feel sympathetic from the uh, end, like I could sort of get it, but at the same time, he was kind of, you know, just a crazy person who like just attacked and killed people and wanted <laughs> to does. torture Zeno. And it's like, you know, it, it's a little much to make me mm-hmm. feel for this guy at the end here. I did think it was really funny how Jeha placated him by being like, hey, want to see something really yeah. weird? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> yeah. When do we get to see his legs? No, yeah. Like, I mean, we get to see his leg. That's Jeha's true like expression a, yeah. of love and sacrifice for Zeno. It's like, I love you so much, I'm showing someone my leg. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> but then it cut away. Yeah, I like, mean, I'm sure it'll be like a big character moment where he like finally make like really starts yeah. to make peace, like with Shina kind of starting to go without his mask more. Mm-hmm. Is something that that has been happening, but That's like, come on. Just show us the freaking like. Yeah. By the way, I came up with which dragon part I would have. Oh, I have dragon arms because I put on muscle really easily, and also I give really good hugs. Ooh, that's nice. Awesome. Ooh, that's, nice. Good. that's very good. Okay. <laughs> See, now I'm awake. <laughs> now I can come up with an answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dokken by the owner really anyway. stimulates the noggin. But yeah, no. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, I can definitely see. Like, there were some lesser developed things, but I, I, in general, I really like that arc. Yeah, yeah. But I also another aspect I actually like was also the stuff with Priest Gobi and the like, like anti-war faction in Jing, mm-hmm. and then kind of the politics of like this noble group is just trying mm-hmm. to maintain their own power. So even though they're essentially like anti-war, they're actually mm-hmm. like a violent faction that tries to assassinate Curran, and then all this time, Gobi is also thinking about the different ways that he can just manipulate the situation to maintain a position of power, like, even if, like, Zing and Koka ally, so... Right, I see, I totally see what you mean, 100%. I feel like, like, thematically, the arc has a place in the story. It just didn't feel like part of what I really, really enjoyed about Yona is how human all the characters have felt historically. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, and, and how complicated, and I didn't really feel that from the characters in this, especially, like, I'm harping on the princesses. I wanted to, to I wanted to know more about the princesses, but Koran's motivation is so simple. It's like, Koka did this terrible thing, and now I hate them and want to conquer them. Well, I was like, well, I don't, I, I don't want war. I just, I never felt like I knew who they were as people. I just knew who they were as characters in and their role in the story. Mm-hmm. Interesting. No, I feel like we got a good sense of Corin because we saw her interact with her people, and that she really cared about them, mm-hmm. and that how she they looked up to her and how. Mm-hmm. You know, she could be an inspiring figure to her. And I, she, I she's just she's like such the, an archetypal yeah. figure too. Yeah, honestly, I can see that. Yeah, and it's hard too when you have. I was just gonna say, and it's hard too because everyone reads it differently. But like again, like you said, the motivations. It is, I would argue, compared to every other female character we have encountered in the series, they are probably like you said the most like I don't want to say tropey, but like. All right. What? This is a standard motivation mm-hmm. in a political drama. The other country wronged me. Versus, like you meet even like Kyoga and Tejun's ma. Like mm-hmm. every other character, there's a little more complexity. Not that there wasn't any with Corintel, but I can definitely see what Caitlin's saying with that. I feel like I would enjoy would have enjoyed the arc more be if there had been more focus on the princesses versus their five stars. Yeah, mm. because I'm hoping they yeah. stack. I'm, I think they will. I'm generally more interested in female characters than male <laughs> characters. All other things being equal, Ayura and Tetra dudes. Yeah, Ayura yes. and Tetra are awesome. Ayura and Tetra are great. Riri is great. Riri Yona has one a of my lot favorites. of dudes. Like Kusanagi jokes about it, mm. uh, and 
kind of to me these were just more dudes. I'm oh, not against yeah. male characters. Obviously, there's some male characters who I love very much, mm-hmm. but all other things being equal, I'm more interested in female characters just because dudes are not as interesting to me. Yeah, I just can agree that the five stars are not like the most interesting. I think the most interesting was uh, Yotaka because of his interactions with the Wind Tribe and then like slowly kind of getting over like his also ingrained hatred of Akoka by like, you know, the Wind Tribe looking out for him when he's like going to be betrayed by Gobi's anti-war faction mm-hmm. and then forming kind of a trust and relationship with Taiyu Wind Tribe members. So I thought mm-hmm. that was an interesting, really interesting yeah. part of the story. I also get the impression, too, that yes, the Shing arc is quote-unquote over, but it's also kind of not. Like, in the most recent volumes, even still with conflict in a different location, like, you are, the Shing arc still actually kind of coming yeah. back into play. Still and after effects. Yeah. Well, yeah, after yeah. effect, but without spoiling too much, like, even the characters and stuff, there's a lot yeah, no. still coming mm-hmm. up. So in a way, the Shing arc was an arc, but it also is still kind of going, right. which is interesting. So I think what I think is more interesting, honestly, is that was kind of built on in that arc was Suwon's focus on conquest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's, that is very interesting. Yeah. Because when they were taking care of things within Koka. That's one thing. It's really like, oh, Suwon is, Suwon is an active king. He's understanding his country's issues. Um, he's being very hands-on. You know, he's interested in people and what is going on with the people. And he's using that as a springboard to figure out what needs to be fixed in his country. But then once you start to get into Sei, into Shing, he's really like he's making coca a colonialist power at that point yeah he's he's getting kind of imperialist yeah Mm -hmm. and so that is it's like where is this coming from yeah yeah that's a a really interesting choice and my 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 cynical question is are they doing this because this was something that was planned as part of his character or is it just that it was where the story needed to progress so it wasn't spinning its wheels and repeating itself and that was just they didn't want they weren't ready to end the manga yet well i thought it's an <laughs> extension of his goal to make koka a place without enemies like solidify mm-hmm. like it says yeah prevent there yeah. being any threats like he started to reclaim territories from Kai that, you know, they lost in previous wars, both as a means mm-hmm. of, like, kind of appeasing, like, the Earth tribe and, like, you know, reclaiming territory that previously lost. But also, I think, like, especially going after, say, Zane explicitly, he says, okay, like, we're going to consolidate these territories and so that these nations are no longer a threat to us and also we can prepare for future wars with the Kai Empire. And I think his ultimate goal is probably he's going to wage war on the Kayanpur and take that over. So, like, there's no enemies of Koka anymore because all the countries will now fall under Koka as, like, the top imperial power of that region. Mm -hmm. I also think it might be the influence of his father, too. Yeah. uh, Just from what we know of his dad, of, like... He he loved his dad. He loved his dad. And if his dad thought that that was the right way to rule, I mean, that's probably going to be his gospel in some level. Mm -hmm. Not that I agree or condone him turning into a colonialist. No, not at all. 
No, it, I'm just interested in understanding where I would it. think that it came from. He seems unwilling to think of his father in a negative light because when Yona asks him, like, hey, you know what Zhuhan did to the people of Jing? Like, he he decapitated prisoners of war after an armistice was announced. Like, do you believe what he did was right? And Zhuhan says, you know, in times of war, I think that's something that's actually like a judgment. So he's, like, willing, he's kind of, like, suspends, like, kind of his morality in that way. Like, because mm-hmm. he, he doesn't want to think ill of his father or that his father could be capable of doing anything wrong or just because he worshipped and idolized him and he learned kind of the art of war from him in a way yeah so yeah i think that would lead him down a dangerous direction and it would have in the jing arc if yona hadn't intervened yeah. and he's still i i think people forget how young he is because he's the same age as mm-hmm. hack right they're both like 18 19. yeah 18 yeah. Hmm. they're the okay. second youngest of the main cast next to yona and yoon so like they're still kids Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, like, and I feel like that's something that the series occasionally touches on. I'd like to see a little bit more just saying these people are still very, like, very, very young. They may be like prodigies in their own ways, but a lot of what they're doing is still like flailing around trying to figure, trying to figure things out. Yeah. And I, I like when it kind of pulls back into that with Yona. Yeah. You see that, and you see that mo- with Yona and Hawk. You see that most with them, mm-hmm. with the romance. It's very <laughs> young. They they do not yeah. know how to deal with it. Hawk screaming, "I love you!" out of frustration. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. Okay. Such a good. That was the best way Kusanagi could have written that confession. Oh my that gosh! Well, because it's so perfectly in confession. character. Because he doesn't open up, right? Like his. <laughs> He's not, like, a bad guy. He's generally a pretty, like, he's, like, generally a pretty nice person, but, like, he doesn't, he shows affection through teasing. And Yona's not going to get, get that he likes her through teasing. No. Uh, she's, she's pretty oblivious. Like, he's been pretty forward with her, like, up until that point. Like, he, he has made a lot of passes at her that <laughs> indicated his oh feelings. Oh my gosh. And she's just not getting it no. there's just some of the stuff he said was just like whoa like the part where he's like don't say you'll protect me it stirs my desire <laughs> like no yeah. like, alright he's we holding the he, sign up what turns, like, mm-hmm. what else, like, we know what turns Hawk off I think Hawk like Hawk stupid horny Hawk dom- dominant woman um, yeah so, but like, so, so like, oh, sorry. No, it's just um, and actually speaking of criticisms earlier. Now I I feel like I might have one, or I don't know. I don't know if how everyone like else feels about this, but like now, okay. So I kept forgetting like how old everyone was. So now that we know Yona's sixteen, and I think I think Jayhot's. I'm looking it up. Okay, yeah, he's twenty five. So now now I'm not so sure about him. Like playfully hitting on her yeah. at some points. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that now. <laughs> it's a little weird. Yeah, that that might be the one thing I don't like about this series so far. And even then, I think they, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to give them credit because, like, they still keep doing it. But, like, Hawk's pretty good about stepping in, like, hey, stop that or whatever, you know. I just, I try to try to 
justify it, not fully, but just saying, like, you know, by the standards of the setting, she is of marriageable age, and also, like, he knows it's never going to go anywhere. Like, he knows she's in love with Hawk. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And he flirts with everyone. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's, again, I'm not trying to excuse it, like, I think people are right to feel uncomfortable by that, I am too, but I think, too, like, looking in the larger story, he flirts with everyone, I also very much get the impression it's almost a defense mechanism for him, Mm -hmm. because he very much is, like, horrified if he does, when Mm -hmm. he does notice he might have genuine feelings for her, and when he does notice that, he actively avoids acting on it because he's like she's too young for me this is just the dragon's blood there's no way there's no way that it uh mm-hmm. and so i think there's that too and like even when hawk pokes fun if we're hitting this part of the convo which is what i've been waiting for i i love personally and i know everyone is different and something that doesn't make me uncomfortable might make someone else uncomfortable and i totally get that but i feel like this series for the most part, has a good balance of that playful flirting without pushing. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. the, no, it, it has this respect of emotional consent. Like, Hawk, even at the very beginning, like, and how he tells everyone, he just has accepted that, okay, I'm happy to say that I love you, but I don't expect anything return. I know you have a million other things on your mind and grief right now to focus on. I don't expect anything from you. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, and even when mm-hmm. she's oblivious, since he misinterprets that as she's not into him, he then just is like, okay, I made my, I made my pass, we're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I, like, people always bring up the time where he wants her to stay behind at the Wind Tribe, and <sighs> she's like, she's like, no, he's like, well, okay, you're gonna have to pay me for my bodyguard services, uh, you can pay with my body, and People are like, oh, it's so creepy when he says that. He says that. It's like, he's trying to put her off. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. This is, this is trying. He's trying to push her away. He's trying to yeah. be t- the Teijun that she remembers. He's trying to get her <laughs> to not to, want to be near him. He's trying to Harry and the Hendersons her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I will say that, like, I definitely realize that it could be a lot worse. And I do think, <laughs> yeah. I do think this series handles this kind of thing. As well as it can, but yeah, th- there there are still some points where I'm just kind of like, the I wish we weren't in this ideal. territory. <laughs> oh yeah, the age, yeah. that age gap with the bit with Jaha debating if he's attracted to her when she's 16, I I totally get, and I'm still like, yeah, it's uh, yeah, 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 here we go. It's not yeah, great. It's not... just it's so low key with it compared to like yeah. other series, and other series do have sincere age gaps like that. I'm not. Super bothered by it. Yeah. I don't love it. But I, yeah. I like yeah. that the back half of the series almost focuses more on Jayha's relationship with Hack instead. Yeah. yeah. Right oh. now. Like yeah. he's more of a figure of support to Hawk in the yeah. back half. Like and he is also Now res- there's a ship. He understands it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like now especially with language. He's first introduced, and he's like, oh, I want Hawk to join me. There's no <laughs> like, way there aren't, yeah. like, 10,000 doujinshi of, of them to yeah. in particular, oh, 100%. you know? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Also, I know I know Same for a fact that him. Gija and Jeha have a pretty big oh, ship they, following. There's a, yeah. they're a popular ship. Mm, okay. I can see it. Yeah, I can see that, too. Gija's uh, yes. adorable, by the way. God mm-hmm. bless his heart. 
He's just probably, honestly, he's he's a he's a good boy. He's probably my least favorite of the four dragons, though. Interesting. Of the, yeah. the main cast. Fair. It, it's just, it's, I mean, that's more by virtue of, like, everyone else being so great. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. that kind of brings us into a way we can segue into our Twitter questions, which touch oh. on a lot of topics. It's like, we got one from Quenja on Twitter who asked, like, who is our favorite dragon? Oh. And I think, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about Yuna, Hawk, and Siwon up to this point. It'd be good to kind of get into the four Dragon Warriors. Well, actually, I was going to say, I mean, I'm just going to cheat and say Hawk because he's the Dark Dragon. <laughs> so I think <laughs> that counts. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> I, look, I'm, I'm just going to say it right now. I'm a Hawk stan. He's my favorite character, oh, like 100%. Fantastic. Like, he mm. has so many good moments that, like, I just, I, I, I think the last one that I got up to in my read was uh when he he tells Yona to go back and get the get the dragons out before the soldiers can like take over that village or whatever and then he just he just decimates almost that entire army it's one of the coolest mm. things i've ever seen like he just he has so many great moments like that where i don't know i just he's i just i just love him like i don't know how yeah. else to put it oh he's fantastic Hot escalates mm-hmm. in that kind of badass moments as the series goes on. I think like this recent arc has some of the most incredible battle moments from Hawk, but also just as a character, his emotional development, his relationship mm-hmm. with Yona, how that progresses throughout the story is like very interesting to see. And I also love just like how Yona is relieved to gather more companions, more kind of figures of support for her on their journey. Hawk is as well. Like Hawk really appreciates like gathering up the other dragon warriors, something that at first, you know, he's kind of at odds with like Gija and Jaya and stuff and kind of has like kind of a, a contentious <laughs> relationship with them. Kind of, they have like this, this kind of playful banter, but like as the White story snake. goes on, you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but as the story goes on, like he really recognizes that how much he is comes to rely on them and how much more at ease he feels with them having his back or being and fighting alongside them. And they're like great moments, like in the day arc rather where they, you know, uh, Yon has been kidnapped mm-hmm. and Hawk and the dragons, the they kind of separate to investigate like Hawk kind of reflects, like what if it was just Yona and me alone? And does it happen? Like what would, could I have done? What would I have done? I'm so relieved to have these guys to have my back and to help us. Oh. Yeah, even Mundok and the the Wind Tribe people, when they notice him, they're like, oh, so you found other people. And, like, yeah. that realization there is just like, ooh, it's so good. He deserves it. <laughs> I'll, I won't say too much about it because I know not a lot of people are up to this volume yet, but volume 29, that is a hack volume in the best way yeah. possible. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, because can't wait. In, the, in the best way possible, too, because how we were earlier talking about the moments the series reminds us how young they actually are. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that volume because Hawk mm. is kind of alone again, but you are reminded that he's like 18, 19, but he was trained to be a general and all of this, but he actually has never been in war. He's been in all these battles, yeah. but he's never been in a war. And that's mm. a very different thing. And it's just a very, it is such a good balance between like this strength and the fighting and the action, but then just so much genuine vulnerability from Hack. 
after like 28 volumes and it's oh, mm-hmm. the, i can't yeah. wait for y'all hack stands to read volume 29 <laughs> oh, because man. That, this, it this is just, so good this just sounds like catnip to me i need to i need to get yeah. on this um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> the cover's great it oh, is man. it is I, actually speaking of hawk real quick i know we're talking a lot about him but volume 16 i you know Ooh. he's he's on the cover and he just he just looks amazing yeah and you know, I mean, aside from it being a good cover, I was kind of excited. Like, were we going to get a lot of Hawk in this? I mean, and obviously that that's the volume where, like, you know, he sees Suwon and he's literally, like, attacking everybody to get him out of the way so he can get to Suwon. And that that's a great moment where we were kind of talking about it earlier. Like, that was a moment where I was like, I was kind of conflicted because I was like, oh, yeah, I love seeing my I, le- I love seeing my badass son, you know, be badass. But also, like, it's it's really heartbreaking because then also that's when he attacks like Jaha and stuff. and my heart starts to break <laughs> and I'm yeah. just like, Oh no, yeah. this is, this isn't what I wanted. Not like this, you know? Yeah. And he has to deal with kind of that guilt of hurting them afterwards. Like when they're treating him, he's noticed like it's kind of the wounds that he inflicted on Deja and Jaha. And so that also kind of is a wake up call to like, you know, think about checking his own feelings, his own anger and rage. Think about that, man. But okay. We, we talked enough about Hawk. <laughs> who, who are your guys' other favorite dragons? As soon as I saw him in the anime, my favorite was uh, Sinha. So yeah, he's pretty good, too. He's so beautiful. He's voiced by Okamoto, and I'm just like, damn, he's this definitely one of He's definitely one of my favorites. It's hard to choose. Such a tender boy. <laughs> I want to say it's it's close between Shina and Jeha. They're kind of opposite. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I love yeah, for them. Sure. Like, I love them both. Part of this might be colored by the anime because Jehaz was voiced by one of my favorite voice actors, yes. Chi Suabe, so who is so fucky. Um, <laughs> yes, that's exactly just, the word. It's not the fucky is different from sexy, but like <laughs> he just sounds like so fucky all the time in every role, and is perfect <laughs> for Jeha. Just oh man, but I also I really enjoy like his like his struggle for reconciling the part of him that wants to be independent and not tied down and obligated and the part of him that feels like genuinely like not just the dragon blood but genuinely moved by yona and i love sheena also he's my precious baby boy yes i want to protect (laughs) him forever once again um his voice acting in the anime his actor does an amazing job i love how he you really like you can feel through his entire character that he has grown up in isolation he is emotionally even though he he is an adult emotionally he's still very much a child he's when he speaks it's in such an, a hesitant stilted almost stilted way because he doesn't he hasn't really talked to anyone other than a squirrel for years it's almost impossible to believe that this is the same actor who does bakugo and nishinoi (laughs) (laughs) right that's some range um yeah he he, so yeah talk about opposites kusanagi's got such such a gift for like considering the whole picture of the character outside of just like the tropiness you know, seeing, like, not just, oh, he's been in isolation all this time, but, like, what kind of effect that would have on his development. How devastating that would be, like, as a person 
and what kind of person that would that would create and which is a person who is terrified of the world terrified of himself terrified of his powers and just doesn't know how to communicate with other people but is still at his heart a very an incredibly good and kind person because that's just who he is i love it and i i just adore the way that he's written and also seeing his development seeing him become more comfortable with himself with the dragons start to talk a little bit more he's such a good boy oh yeah the goodest sweetest boy if I had to answer the question seriously, um, I, w- I would say Taejun as well. Um, <laughs> you mean? <laughs> I, no, wait, did I, say- Ta- I mean, now Taejun is a great character, but not on the dragons. We as love Taejun, but he's not a dragon. Wait, wait, I did I get the names mixed up? Oh yeah, the, I, I, yeah, the yeah. fire dragon. Oh, sorry, sorry, I meant Jaha. Oh Jaha. Okay. Yeah, I meant Jaha. Um, but I like Taejun too, even though he's not he's not a dragon. But great, great. Like guy. We'll talk yeah. about we'll talk about it. We'll talk we'll get to him. He's the what the the Earth Dragon, the Fire Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. His skill is being able to cultivate yes. the land. Excellent God bless him. <laughs> now we want to talk about my perspective turnaround on feelings on a character. Now that's one. But oh my yeah. god, yeah, I was I was skeptical of him at first because like. And obviously, he's such a he's such a, a dick <laughs> at the beginning, right. you know, well, constantly making advances on Yona. Yona. Yeah, yeah, and right. I don't know. I was I was surprised to see that like he actually has remorse for you know for possibly killing Yona. Like that was actually kind right. of like it was actually kind of heartbreaking to see him so like actually like broken up about a terrible thing he did, and to see him like. You know, apologize to Yona and just being so happy that she ended up being alive. And I, I, I just think from there, he, he just had moment after moment after moment where I'm just like, okay, yeah, he, he's slowly winning me over, uh, especially when he goes to like, you know, confront his troops to make sure they don't like yeah. completely destroy the village that he's, you know, undercover in or whatever. Like, God, yeah, I, his, his redemption is not one big action it's a progression of a series mm-hmm. of actions yeah. throughout the yeah, long yeah. course of the series that, this is and that's what sells it for me it's, yeah. it's one of the best redemption arcs because <laughs> it's not yeah. just like uh, he feels bad he says sorry all is forgiven or like oh one thing happened and now he's permanently changed like he was changed by thinking that he killed yona but that was only the beginning of the process. He still goes out to that that fire tribe village and is a piece of shit. And, mm-hmm. you know, just totally snobby, does not understand anything. But he does, like, the hard work to, like, learn how to be better. And he really, really does become such a good person. And seeing him go through that emotional process... The way he bursts into tears when he thinks, when he sees Yona alive mm. again, like, mm. oh, he, he, yeah, no, it's, it's, it, this is like a Zuko level redemption arc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just absolutely one of my favorites. And after that, he really did become one of my favorite characters in the series. Absolutely. Look, I'm just going to say, if Hawk didn't exist, he'd probably be my favorite. Probably. <laughs> he, he's probably my second favorite character. I, I love really, him so much. He's really good. 
and yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said. Like he he puts in the work, and I think that's what makes his right. redemption arc so believable amongst mm-hmm. the you know other redemption arcs we've seen in stories that people like mm-hmm. to talk about. Where you know, again, it is just like that. Oh, they did. You know, they they suddenly have a change of heart, and everything's okay. Like. Yeah, you, you it's can, a process can, yeah. that happens over time, exactly, and it doesn't yeah. start out like with him immediately like wanting. Oh, suddenly I'm going to be a good person. First, it just starts like him wanting to help Yona, and then slowly as he starts to understand mm-hmm. the situation in the Fire Tribe better and see like how people are suffering, live like he starts to care about actually helping the people themselves, and then going out of the way to you know like when one of his soldiers is injured and has like a disease, like he he goes out of the way to treat him like even at the risk of his own life and that really shows how the growth like he no longer is like just thinking of himself anymore like he really is thinking of other people and going out of his way to help them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of unlearning too right yeah mm-hmm. he has to unlearn a lot of his garbage biases. attitudes yeah and biases yeah yeah i like the way he stood oh, up to yeah. his brother oh yeah. when he stood up to his brother that was good I also like the way he stood up to that, uh, to to the troops, kind of passing through the village. Like, you know, I'm not going to let you pass through here, or whatever. That was that was a good That's moment right. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. many good moments. I think that was the moment where I'm just like, okay, fine, you win. I like him. <laughs> oh yeah. I guess. See, back to the dragons. I, I'm, I, yes, I love them all. I don't want any listener to think. I or we have forgotten our beloved Zeno. However, I'm not going to say much about Zeno because even though we've talked so much about the plot, a lot of the plot in Yona, everyone must experience Zeno for themselves. <laughs> I mean, we can give a spoiler warning if uh, uh, anyone wants no. to skip this part. Well, but my favorite is is Jeha, though. Mm. I do, I do love Jeha. Partly because, again, if anyone goes to my Twitter timeline, I maybe have a penchant for slightly morally gray, possibly criminal characters. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> and he was a pirate upon introduction. And mm-hmm. so I was sold. But also, as I keep bringing up, his, I love his character arc as well of just going from acting very young and immature to slowly kind of be realizing and becoming this like older brother figure to a lot of the younger members and kind of watching them grow and giving them that space to do so, but also being that support. Mm-hmm. I, I think that mm-hmm. bonus chapter at the end of, um, I forget which volume where he, he sees the, like the scratch marks on Geech's back and like, yeah. you know, at first he's like, Oh, the I, I don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah first he's just kind of like oh i don't care like if he's just gonna let anybody see it that's fine but but he cares he, he's he he goes out of his way to like try to make sure nobody sees his back or whatever because like he he wants to like spare Gij's feelings or whatever because he is obviously very traumatic uh and he doesn't want like to want him to relive that trauma or whatever and he doesn't yeah. want anyone to go through what he went through yeah as much as he makes a pretense of like wanting to just leave freely and just think like only of himself, like he really does look out for and care for like everyone in the group. And like, especially like we mentioned before with Hawk, like he's very aware of like how's Hawk's feeling and looking out for him as well as Yona, but like everyone, like he really manages to be kind of like a kind of a pillar of support for them. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting to see 
Yeah. Like, as much as he originally was like, no, I don't want to be tied down to anyone or anything. Like, he really becomes, like, he feels like an obligation to his group, but it's out of, like, love and not, like, out of what he fears is, like, just this inseparable connection. Like, it's it's a genuine connection of compassion and him caring about them. Yeah. Also, I will say that the bonus chapters at the end of some of these volumes are way more interesting than I thought they were going to be, because usually when I'm, like, reading through stuff for the podcast, like, I usually kind of skip those just because most of the time they don't end up being, like, super consequential. They're usually just kind of light, fluffy fun or whatever. But, like, these are actually kind of important if you want to, like, learn more about Mm -hmm. the dragons and, like, kind of their dynamics with each other and, like, the trauma they've gone through. Like, they're way more interesting than, like, I could have imagined them being. They're, like, so rich in character. Mm -hmm. they're they're, They're actually, like, really great supplementary material. Yeah, they're important for character and, and world building. Like, there are a lot of very interesting. There are silly ones, but those are also a lot of fun, too. Like, the one where they yeah, yeah, yeah. eat, like, the cough drop pills that makes everyone go berserk. And then, like, everyone's just fighting each other, but Yona's just, like, punching trees in the background. That was a, <laughs> a great series. But, yeah, like, well, there's a lot of really good ones. Like, Jayha's uh, kind of hit past with his predecessors yeah, in all those bonus chapters. Yeah. And that was a mm-hmm. really interesting story. Mm-hmm. And I think there's even one with Zeno kind of doing his little watchful eye thing over them all as kiddos. So cute. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Zeno's the one who lets Jayha be young and not the eldest in the group. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. 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 That's a Spoiler. really good role shift after the reveal is that Zeno becomes like the voice of wisdom and reason in the group. Like, he's the one who kind of people can turn to for like, hey, what should we do here? And he's the one who gives the insights. So I like that. Yeah. I like that. I mean, even before that reveal, though, he was like kind of the one who was kind of advising people and making them interrogate. Hey, what do you really want to do? You should think and take care of yourself a little bit. Like he has like separate conversations with a lot of different people even before that. Reveal. Oh, yeah. So you know, there's something up with Zeno because he just has those moments where he just drops his... Mm-hmm jolly demeanor and just goes dead serious you know there's something there but then the reveal happens and it's so much worse than you could have possibly imagined oh my god yeah. Yeah, I, just, I just i just want to i just want to go on record and say that like originally i was gonna try to get up to volume 16 because i knew i wasn't gonna like catch up because i didn't have the time unfortunately and lum was the one who convinced me to get up to volume 18 and yeah. kind of let me know like what to expect going forward and i'm i'm glad i did because if i didn't i I can say for 100% for certain that, like, I wouldn't have really had anything to say about Zeno in particular, because he, he just kind of shows up, and, like, for a while, like, he's not, like, he's fun, I guess, but, like, he's not really, like, the most interesting out of the dragons, he's just kind of there, but, like, when you get up to volumes 17 and 18, you learn more about Zeno, and, again, I don't know if we really want to, like, talk too much about it, because, again, <laughs> yeah. that's that's definitely a reveal, that's definitely one of the reveals in the story that I think people should experience for themselves, but just know that, like, there is way more to his character that Kusanagi doesn't, like, let people in on right away. There's way more to the story. And that reveal really changes the whole interpersonal relationship dynamic of the group, in a way, Mm -hmm. as well, going forward. 
and just how they all relate to their trauma and each other. It's just, and like how Jayha's then allowed to like have moments of breaking down and vulnerability and being a kid almost. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny because yes. when I first started reading, I'm like, oh, he's 25. He's so old. And now I'm like older than him. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> 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 it doesn't even compare the compare the Zeno. That's so good. Yeah, no, I mean, and this is just me, but like, and I I don't want to like compare trauma because everybody has been like through their own trauma and they're all valid. But like, Zeno, I would I I would probably argue is possibly the most tragic out of everybody in the group. Oh, I mean, hundred (laughs) percent. Living as long as he has, and also, I mean, the stuff that we see in his background, all the stuff that we just hear him describe later, like, he tried to take his, he imagined and thought about taking his life several times over the course oh. of his life. Jeez, He yeah. says at one point, like, yeah. and he just was waiting for so long for the return of his companions, like, and it's just, he, he was just in this limbo for years, years, just watching things change around him but him just stay the same like mm-hmm. definitely content trigger warning for some people like it's never directly shown or really explicitly discussed but like Zeno's past has like a lot of like self-harm and like you said basically mm-hmm. attempted suicide and oh my god and just the amount of mm-hmm. loss to the point where he's literally just numb mm-hmm. in comparison to all god. the other dragons it's just like I want to hug you yeah right, like Part of the reason that he can keep up that, like, sunny disposition is because he's just, like, he's been through it all and he doesn't really care too much anymore. Like, yeah. it not nearly as much really affects him. Yeah. I uh, just, he knows that no matter what happens to him, like, you know, he will still be alive. So yeah, and that like self-harm extends even in the group where the group has to say, we don't care what you can do we don't want you to keep putting yourself like he'll just flagrantly disregard his well-being after the mm-hmm. reveal to like help protect people because he's like i can guys and they're like that doesn't mean we want to watch you go through that you matter like it, it, it's just very interesting when that comes out oh god oh, and like yeah. the, part, the part where he's trapped in a burning building oh my god and oh. they're like and he's like he is stuck. He cannot get out. And they're like, he's going to be stuck in there until the fire burns itself out. Is so right. like. Can we talk about Kusanagi's graphic artwork for him? Oh my oh god. god. His like skin is dripping stuff. off of him. Yeah. <laughs> the body horror Upsetting. stuff that Kusanagi does with Z- Zeno is just so. It's like something out of a horror market. It is so graphic, especially like in the battle that he first reveals his powers. Like. He gets put through the ringer, like he loses limbs left oh and right. His gosh. body is just maimed oh. and mangled. He's he's decapitated, like it's just and, oh, some of the most horrific things ever. And he just bounces back. That's such it's a big, crazy. Yeah, no one listen to this if you don't want spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we gave the spoiler warning <laughs> yeah, earlier. Good. Should be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the part, like, and the fact that, like, going back to the burning building, like the fact that no one's like, oh well, he'll be fine. He's invulnerable, but they're like. He's in so much pain, pain. and there, yeah. he's not going to have any relief, and we can't do anything. Yeah. And it was presented as this upsetting thing. There's so much empathy in the writing of this. Yeah, it, there's no shrugging off of anyone's pain. Yeah, it's oh, like man. he yeah, may be right. invulnerable, but 
yeah, he, he still has to feel everything and suffer that. And again, Kusanagi's artwork with all of this is just so like, she goes from the most beautiful, adorable things to then, or like chibi Q mm-hmm. to then we have a character's jaw just being sliced up the mm-hmm. neck. And you just see like their teeth bones when you really should not be seeing those. And I'm just like, all right, we went from we went from sparkles and chibi to Tokyo Ghoul. Okay, here we go. <laughs> her art is so versatile. <laughs> oh, her oh, art yeah. has grown so much from the beginning too. It's gotten yes. so like polished mm-hmm. and expressive and beautiful. It was always nice. It's but really- like. It's so gorgeous now. Oh my god. Yeah, she really doesn't shy away from, like, how awful and graphic war can be most of the time. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, you thought this was a fun, cute, happy time? Just kidding. No, she can go from the gorgeous to the grotesque on a flip of a coin. Like, it's so good. Bet you didn't know Shoujo Maga can do that. (laughs) And she grows so much (laughs) from even her previous series, Moving Spiral. Like, it's just her storytelling chops like obviously i never want yona end and like i never want to like put pressure on a career to like create immediately after they end something but like i would be really interested and fascinated to see if she chooses to do another project after this and what that would be yeah i would love for ng life to be translated because that sounds really cool yeah that concept wasn't it translated i thought it was was, i don't think it ever fully came out it's tokyo pop so yeah it got stuck in Tokyo Pop Purgatory. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tokyo Pop folded. Or okay, it looks oh, like no, it was looking at it. It looks like it was fully translated. Oh. Yeah. But. I but I checked on eBay. I think now. the volumes are like extremely expensive. So. I was gonna yeah, say there's really yeah. hard to get. It I would love a license rescue. Yes, yeah. I would love mm. a rescue. Yeah, I, I'd be interested in it, not just because the premise isn't standing alone, but it also seems like it, it explores these ideas of reincarnation and fate and destiny, which, you know, she explores in Yona. So I'm like interested in see, oh, she she has had this kind of interest in these themes, even extending back to her previous work. I'd love to see how to compare and contrast how she explored it in NG Life with Yona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Oh my god, so many good characters. Good I mean, I heard the good word. Uh, and my yeah. favorite is uh, Zeno. Like, it, oh. it was like a lot of people oh, where it right. was like, originally, you know, I was kind of uh, trepidatious about the character. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I didn't mind he just showed up because I kind of got the sense, okay, the deal with this guy is that he's probably kind of wiser than he looks on. He's probably was observing them for a long time. So I kind of got that aspect of the twist with the character. And I was just waiting for the shooter drop. But when it did drop and we finally got like the full context of his character, that he was one of the first dragons that he's been around a thousand years. And we see like his life story. And then that he at one point had a wife that had tragically that relationship mm-hmm. couldn't pan out. It like, just you reflects... always have to have that with the immortal yeah. characters, right? Yeah, you have it to is get like married a... at some point. Very classic, like, immortal, you know, tragedy story. But it was so effective. And, like, the, yeah, it did. the it, moments with the character were so it. strong. And then afterward, the character, like, because of how his dynamic in the group changed, was so interesting. Like, especially immediately in, like, the blue forest arc afterwards where he gets kidnapped by, like, the 
previous blue dragon when it's like possessing Shinna's body and they have a conversation and then even after that like there's there's so many interesting moments with him also like, and then his relationship with the dragons i feel that. like just what a bold power move to literally wait until a hundred chapters to reveal something so major about this character mm-hmm. Like, I think literally chapter 100. It was yeah, like, chapter 100 that that yeah. was revealed. And I'm just like, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, that is, it's such a crucial thing for his character. And like, you've known for so long that there is something there, but I think you don't really expect the scale of what it is. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, what a bold, confident storytelling move to be like, you don't get to know until mm-hmm. all the way until chapter 100. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. And it, it, it has so much more impact since now you know who this character is. Spend so much time with him with the facade. Mm-hmm. And it comes at such a good moment in which, oh. like, old Hawk and old Yona and all the dragons are kind of incapacitated in this battle because the dragons have kind of been suffering from illness. And then Hawk and Yona are, like, being overwhelmed by this army. And then Zeno comes in and all on his own reveals his powers in this battle and then just takes out the army oh and scares God. it away all on his own. It's so good. Because up until this, this point, we haven't seen Zeno really in battle. We've seen him protect Yona at certain points, but we haven't seen what he could actually do. And then seeing his power in action here was just, like, so... Like awesome, especially because of how grotesque it went. Go. And it's funny because you realize then that I forget. I think it was during the Water Tribe arc. I don't remember exactly, but there was one hint of it happening before, and you don't realize until after his powers revealed, where he jumped in front of Yona to block her, and was like, "Don't worry, mm-hmm. Miss." And it was like that was going to be the moment. And then, like I think, last minute Hacker Jaya came in, and everyone's like, "What were you doing, Zeno? Be careful!" Da, da, da. <laughs> and but I just, I think the most heartbreaking thing too about all that is before you even learn his full backstory, but you just see he's like regenerating and all of that. And you don't know even while he's fighting, is there a cap to this? You don't know the extent. And you see all of the companions, especially the dragons, Kusanagi does those panel close-ups on their faces and their reactions specifically when everyone on the field is calling him a monster and horrified by him. And just that word yeah. monster being called out and how it just so personally impacts each and every one of them because of how they grew up and how people perceive them. Because in the back half of the manga, everyone's suddenly like, oh my god, I'm worshipping you. But before that, they were so ostracized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. And, yeah. And the, the series is so interesting things about, like, the dragon mixed feelings towards, like, after they do start being kind of worshipped after previously being taught of his monsters for so long, like, how that makes them uncomfortable, too. And I, I really like how he explores it in interesting ways as well. Like, but, yeah, And, man. like, how the general public, in their kind of manic obsession with them almost, also forgoes their consent and, like, wanting to, like, touch their bodies and, like, immediately feels yeah. entitled to, like, Gija's, touching Gija's arm and things like that. And you're, like... Real invasion of privacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, like, really uncomfortable. Still. Yeah, like, really, it's only within their group and their friends who, like, they have people who see them for themselves and as people, whereas in their past, they're seen as, like, oh, wait, like, these are the Dragon Wars, there's something to be feared. In Gigi's case, at least, he was someone who was, like, revered and celebrated, but for everyone else, they were, like, feared and they were ostracized and punished and isolated. 
and but never like have like just general people like just treated them like you know human beings they've always been treated as like the other except when they are around like yoda and their friends but yeah i mean the characters are just so fascinating and they're used so well in the story and mm-hmm. we should probably move on to more questions about some <laughs> yeah. of these characters because we got yeah. a lot of them to go and we're, we're getting a little long there is one other question uh, one other character besides the dragon that i do just want to touch on briefly and that is riri because i love riri yes! i love her relationship oh, good. So good. i love her relationship with yona because like they mutually kind of push each other in different ways because for Yona, Riri is someone that she wants to help and protect. And so we have these moments where, you know, she's kind of alone and really she wants to like protect her. And so that pushes some great growth moments for her. But then Riri in watching Yona like do all these things on her own and like go up against like these enemies, like even though she might not be strong enough to meet them like that inspires you to like hey i gotta push myself to be better i gotta be like as strong as her and i gotta do everything i can to help out this situation with my tribe and i can't just like back down my and really has such great growth in the series like especially when she like makes the sacrifice for yona in the say arc where she like in the forest. Yona has, like, been kind of injured, and so to prevent, like, her from being captured, like, she kind of goes off as a distraction, so she'll get captured instead. And then on the platform, like, she, like, is trying to get Ayura to go away by kind of doing an outburst to kind of distract everyone. And then later on, like, she kind of <laughs> headbutts one of the executioners off the platform and, like, tries to encourage everyone to, like, fight back against, like, the guards. And, like, I really love, like, Ruri's growth as a leader in the story and her efforts to, like, try and help her people and how she's inspired by Yona to be more proactive and stand up for herself more. And I really like the contrast also in their philosophies that Kusanagi points out in like one of the Articons is that like Yona sees like the people around her as people she needs to protect and so she will go out of her way to just be their protector. But Riri is like she want not only wants to be able to protect herself, but she also wants to encourage the people around her to stand up for like what is right and to fight back, which we see like with her attempts to appeal with the merchants association, with her father, and then like with all the other prisoners uh, of say in that arc. So I really, really like that. I really like the relationship between them and the contrast between them and like how they encourage each other to grow. Yeah, yeah. she was good. Me too. Uh, Riri is probably my favorite like secondary character. Like as I was rereading and I got to that scene, it was like, was it like around 20-ish or like right before? Yeah. Yeah, my favorite scene was uh, when basically when Yona got injured, right? Because she like shielded her from an arrow mm-hmm. or something on, mm-hmm. uh, on her leg, and then uh, she's like, uh, "Stay here, I'm gonna go distract them or whatever." And she like kisses her on the forehead, and then just like goes out gallantly. And I'm like, I "Oh cried. my god!" Yeah. Everything was like leading up to this, especially after like in the Nadai arc when uh, like Yona like protected her and like. Man, like like you said, Lum, like the way that they just kind of push each other, and like how they they've both like grown as leaders, and like I really I really appreciated that scene where she's like near the the gallows or whatever, and she's like rousing everyone to like, hey, you have to stand up, 
Like, it, you can't just let let your lives be taken, or, like, that, like, act of of standing up and making, like, taking charge and, like, inspiring other people, it's, like, a it's a strength that Yona is, like, Yona's charismatic, but she doesn't, she's more, like, um, she does stuff, like, from the back lines, like, she's kind of, like, mm-hmm. hidden. Riri is, like, she openly, like, embraces her, her position as, like, a public mm-hmm. figure, and, like, how she can use that as well to like inspire other people and i i appreciate that her character went in that direction instead of just being like oh i'm gonna I'm be just so like, glad yeah. you said that because that's what i was gonna say is i love how they inspire each other but they their paths don't mimic each other like riri mm. sees right. that oh i have this opportunity in my position of power and privilege right now how do i use that in those skills and like how she is able to then kind of get in a room one-on-one with Suwon and talk to him and figure out what makes him right. mm-hmm. It's smart. It's so smart. And I kind of ship her and Yona. Like, obviously, <laughs> yeah. obviously yeah, I do too. Yona and Hack, it's like, obviously subtle. Yona and Hack, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, listen, there's that one yeah. volume yeah, cover of those two, and I'm like, frame that, please. I'm in love with them. They're beautiful. They're queens. Go. No, I was just going to say, I really like Kusanagi's uh, author comment about that cover in particular, how she wanted to, she wanted to draw something like more like, like inviting or whatever, but Mm -hmm. the volume just kind of gives the essence of like, come over here, I'm going to stab you. Yes. (laughs) It's more more intimidating (laughs) than anything. Yeah. It's great. Yes. Man, Riri's awesome. Also, I, I also share Riri's taste of <laughs> <laughs> Yes, he's pretty. Well, yeah, in Junte. Yeah. That was so cute when Junte visits her, and then she's like, kind of dumb silent. She <laughs> so was just staring at her like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> Who is this person? Best. <laughs> in general, and I think, like, just how all of the women just relate to each other in this series even the smallest moments are so good to watch like mm-hmm. i think another reason mm-hmm. i meant to that's talk about that's what i wanted out of the the shing arc well i was about to say i think <laughs> the thing i one thing that will always stand out to me in the shing arc though is yona got her period yes we saw that okay and this. you have that's... this moment where like she is just traveling on her own with all these men and then tao's immediately like I'm on it, and yeah. it's just my favorite moment. Oh, that was that was actually that was a really good, good moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you forget she's on her own with all these men, and not like in a like predatory way, but she's just like, who do you talk to about this? Who do you? And then t- the fact yeah. that Tao just gets it immediately, and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. bye, guys. <laughs> very real, very yeah. real. Oh. There's a real like. I feel like there there's a very real. Um, unspoken communication sort of communication mm-hmm. between people who menstruate like about that sort of stuff just like everyone's everyone's got each other's backs right on that and, and like mm-hmm. it makes also this big fantasy journey also so grounded and real too because like you said people who menstruate that's a thing when you're on the road camping out by the fire, like that's still something that's going to come up. So I was just so happy to see that, like, acknowledgement of, yeah, there's someone who menstruates here, and that's going to come up as an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Your, your your body doesn't just stop just because you're on an epic uh, quest or whatever. And you like, know? 
this I mean, it could. It, it could, could. Because stress. that is, that is uh, something that can happen to periods is they can stop because of stress or different conditions. Yeah, True, I, yeah. And there was, but there was also that acknowledgement too of it wasn't like a, what is this? It's like, Yona's clearly menstruated before and she makes that comment of, oh my god, I completely forgot with everything going on. Like, she's normally, it implies that throughout this journey, she's kind of dealt with it on her own and then with every, mm-hmm. uh, God, it was just, it was, oh, chef's kiss. Sorry, I loved that moment. I got way too mm-hmm. excited when I read that moment. Mm-hmm. Now, and I actually, yeah. I want to touch on something that you said about just talking about a, a total tangent, saying that things aren't, talking about things is like predatory. Mm-hmm. I love that Yoda has such a trusting relationship with yes the dragons, mm-hmm. that there's never any fear of like, one of them's gonna like push her down and be like, I could, you know, yeah. attack you anytime. You shouldn't be so, try to be so vulnerable like, around me. God. I love, like, yeah. cause that is such a common thing to see. It is. And like, we can and have platonic relationships. Yeah. yeah. And that there is, it shows that this, they're very casual about it, but it shows that this kind of trust and comfort can exist between people of different genders that you don't have to be afraid of men like raping you if you're in a vulnerable position around them and some i mean and obviously in real life sometimes your trust is betrayed but it's just mm-hmm. it shows that like not all men are horn dogs yeah. you know even that moment where like hawk kissed yona on the forehead in the cave in the rain it felt like a, i don't like like Oh, I'm going to kiss her on the lips while she's unconscious. But it was such, just such a, like, a moment of, like, just intimacy because they do have this close relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they do have this relationship of, of trust that it didn't feel like he was a violation to her. You know, it's. I mean, that whole scene in the cave is incredible. Yeah. I also, (laughs) I love that he's like, He's not like I want to hide her away from the world. He's like right? I want to show. I you want <laughs> or I don't. Yeah. I don't want. To, it's not that he's like I want to protect you from the world. It's that I want everyone to see how incredible you are. Oh my god! Yeah, best fucking line. That's yeah. such a great moment. Oh. Like he's just so proud of There's her. There's no weird power dynamic, and it's just oh. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy you said that though, Caitlin. There like, is a power yeah, dynamic, but like, he's into yeah. it. So I guess there is a power dynamic, but not in the toxic way is what I meant. I'm so happy Mm -hmm. you said that though, Caitlin, because like, it makes me think about way back that very first question you all asked us of how we discovered Yona. And I think that's actually why I latched onto the series, because when I discovered the series, obviously my friendships and interpersonal relationships have changed a lot since then. But I was Mm -hmm. definitely one of the kids growing up who was more predominantly had a lot more guy friends mm-hmm. and sometimes was shunned for that and sometimes and had to deal a lot with like people making weird assumptions about our relationships and things mm-hmm. and so I think that's in a way why I always gravitated more towards reverse harms like not necessarily in a romantic way but like I loved the moments where they were all just goofing around as friends because that felt very relatable to me mm-hmm. and I think with yeah. this series I latched on so much because there wasn't that predatory thing because you didn't have people asking all these questions because, like, I have had one of my best guy friends. I had a mo- I was having like a huge moment of vulnerability, and it wasn't ever in a romantic way. But they kissed me on the forehead. Uh, it was 
just this intimate moment of, I love you. I'm here for you. You're Mm -hmm. great. And like, I've Mm -hmm. gone on road trips and camping trips and like, no one's gonna, you don't, you have to deal with the weird questions of like, Oh, it's okay that you're sharing a hotel room or a tent. And it's like, yeah, there's separate beds. I don't understand what you think's going to happen here. (laughs) I've slept in beds. Even at the time when that happened too, one time someone asked me that, I'm like, I have a boyfriend. I don't understand what you think's going to happen here. <laughs> like, but no, so I, I agree with you. I just think it's so important how it's just so, there's never that weird comment of, oh, you're really testing my patience and willpower while we're sleeping in these tents oh every God. night. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and yeah. well, I mean, and there are moments where Hawk sort of loses control, like with the honey. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. But, but even then, he like, it's he catches himself and it there never it never feels like it's going to go like too far it's like he's looking honey off of her hand and then he gets a little too into it and she's Freaks a out little weirded like, oh, out no. by it it's not like yeah but it's not like that's going to progress into him like going for her boobs or something yeah you know mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like it's relatable there's moments where you're just like the Lord is testing me right now. And that happens for all <laughs> genders. And I can understand where like, if Yona in her sleep rolls over and like is cuddling up next to Hack, he can have this moment of, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it happens with Yona after she becomes more aware of her feelings. Yeah. Like she just kind of instinctually in the Jing arc when they're about to go to the way, she reaches and kisses Hawk and she's like, oh, why did I do that? Oh, shoot. Oh, when Hawk's sleeping next to her and she's like, fighting the urge to touch him i'm like yes let's have mutual (laughs) thirst here (laughs) yeah i just had a thought and and lum can maybe uh speak more to this because they're a bigger inuyasha fan but i Mm. i just had this random thought where like because we're talking about dynamics and consent and everything like i feel like in any other series it'd be really easy for like jayha in particular to be kind of like the Moroku kind of yeah. character a little bit. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know why, the, like, when we were having this conversation, he was, like, the first character I thought yeah. of. Where it's I like, mean, yeah. or, like, you know, honestly, when I was reading uh, this, I was thinking, oh, man, I see a lot of, like, early Sanji and Jeha, and I'm glad that Jeha never became what Sanji became. It's oh, like this fuck, yeah, overly dude. horny, perverted character. If you, if you but Jaha is like Jaha is a flirt, yeah. but he's like a bisexual flirt, mm-hmm. and he's always respectful That's the towards best part. people. Like he just likes giving compliments. He likes taking compliments. Yeah, and he likes being tied up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's into some kinks, but always very respectfully and uh, yeah, yeah. There's a playfulness to it. Yeah, Yona actually mm-hmm. trips and falls on him, and he's not trying to cop a feel sneakily. Like you would see mm-hmm. in a lot of yeah. earlier stories. Like he's literally like, he'll make a joke of like, oh, you're falling into my arms, but he's also like, oh, here, no, let me help you out. Oh, in my face or whatever, <laughs> that kind of stuff. You yeah. Know? The series very thankfully avoids any lame, bad, gender essentialist it ideas about how men or women low hanging fruit. Yeah. It's great. And I, I respect the series for that. Because mm-hmm. again, it, it absolutely. It, it would have been so easy for this series to devolve into gags like that, and I'm oh, glad so it didn't. Mm-hmm. No. Like, the relationship with Yona and her commands is just a really great example of male-female platonic friendships that are supportive and considerate of each other without pressing on any boundaries. Th- yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think what's so strong, too, is not every single one of the guys is in love with Yona. Yeah. Right. 
Like, Zeno mm-hmm. never has any romantic feelings. No, Zeno had a wife. Zeno's already done yeah. all that. Like, and <laughs> and Shinna is too... Shinna has so much social development to get to before he can even process anything. And then yeah. he just got a whole confusion with the dragon bond. Like, it, it's just, it works because... And I think that's why it works too when sometimes Jaha is dealing with, am I actually into this kid? Like, it's not because every single guy's into Yona. It's like a, there's, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and then you have mm-hmm. the virgin Gija. God bless him. <laughs> well, Gija also has I just say feelings like for Yona initially, it seems. Like, there's one chapter where, like, they get drunk on uh, something from his village or whatever, and, like, he, like, hugs Yona and there's like some implication that he has like more feelings than just devotion to her but that doesn't yeah. really go anywhere after that I think mm-hmm. that eventually just subsides that no he just is a loving supportive friend to Yona yeah, yeah. Can, and can I just say the thing that like that I noticed because uh you know Gija and the other dragons all have their own trauma or whatever but Gija also has the kind of trauma where like you know he talks about there was a night where like one of his suitors or suitors or whatever just comes in while he's sleeping like naked and like, you know, was going to do like whatever to him. And he's like genuinely like traumatized by that. Yeah. And I just I feel sorry. Yeah, for him. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just so in this mentality of like who he is in relation to being a dragon to Yona that I think he and because like you said of that trauma that others have inflicted their feelings on, I think he doesn't really. He's very in denial if he has any feelings for her, which is why it only yeah. comes out when he's drunk and things or mm-hmm. under the influence of a love potion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that kind of those kind of feelings, I feel like are definitely suppressed by that and how like how he sees himself as a dragon is very much akin to like like a sworn knight, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like he has like a self-imposed like I think hierarchy, but it's not like to the point where it completely stifles his interactions with everyone else, but it, it, that kind of like dictates like his, like how he sees himself in position mm-hmm. with everyone else. Well, mm-hmm. and I think well, mm-hmm. I think part of it is also just once again stepping back from a meta perspective, seeing all these characters squabble over Yona is not going to be, is just not what Kusanagi is interested in writing. Mm-hmm. It's not as right. interesting of a of a narrative compared to. It would be a, dis- or rather, I should say, it would be a distraction from the main narrative Yeah. Mm-hmm. of Yona's, you know, growth going through the different places, uh, in- help understanding the world, her conflict with Suwon. It's just much less interesting in some of the side panels. Kusanagi was talking about how some readers are compared or she she's not sure who is into the series because it doesn't have enough romance for people who are romance fans, but it still has some romance, so that might put off the people who aren't romance fans. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just think that she is not interested in telling a story that is primarily romance. And so having the drag all of the love polygons would not help the story it would not add anything and she is spending her precious page counts on anything else so 
I, I like, you know, I, I really like that. You know, whatever the reason is, whether the, whatever the character reason is, whatever the the real world reason is. I'm glad we didn't do that because, God, it's so exhausting having yeah. having love polygons. They're just not very interesting. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's just, it's also nice because it's very clear she's telling the story she wants to tell. Mm-hmm. And she, mm-hmm. I I mean, some people can disagree, but I, I've never gotten the impression, like, I can see where maybe because it's popular, it's added an arc or two in, but everything feels like it's going towards an end game. Like I really like, I read mm-hmm. and I'm like, you've got a plan for me. I'm here yeah. for this. Yeah. yeah. Especially like the way the arcs transition, it's mm-hmm. very organic. Yeah. So I, I'm very excited and I just like, it just feels like she's so confident in what she's writing. Mm-hmm. And I love mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. Totally. Like, God, I love so this. good. So good. <laughs> so, so good. Have you heard the good word? <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, the so hopefully you have heard uh, the gospel of us as the prophets of Yona spreading the good word. You know. But yeah, Yona of the Dawn good? I, t- I, I didn't know. You know? Could have fooled me. Great you even. You because you were the one who didn't read the series before this. But now you do, and you know how good it is. I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, Look, I I knew I knew people fucking loved it, but I didn't really know like what I was getting myself into, and so yeah, I mean, look, I I guess just to kind of wrap up my thoughts real quick, like this was good. I'm really glad I read it. I'm technically, I guess, I'm like halfway through like what's been released in English. Um, I'm definitely gonna like, you know, I'm definitely gonna keep reading more of this, and I'm sure that like when it eventually ends, whenever that may be, you know. This is not the last time we're going to podcast about Yoda. So, mm-hmm. oh, God. I mean, we've already got a plan for a follow-up in the near future, so look forward to that. But, yeah. We definitely didn't mean to not get to all the questions we wanted to and not have a Q&A podcast in the future. No, that was... We definitely planned that out. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think we had, like, one more Twitter question we wanted to go over before we end the yeah, show here. Well- I mean, if everyone else also wants to give kind of their final talks yeah, and recommendations sure. yeah. on Yona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I think I think as a genre, at least what is coming to the U.S., shoujo manga has narrowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like a lot of stuff that would have been categorized as shoujo back in the day um, has been sort of pushed over into shonen magazines which have their own generic expectations. And so I think Yona is a really, really great example of what fantasy shoujo can be, of what action shoujo can be, because it has this epic story, but at the same time, it has this also this focus on the emotions and the growth of the characters. And I'm not saying you never find that in shonen manga, but... The way that it is presented in Yona is something that is so deeply shoujo at its core. And I wish there were more series like that. Because this is why I got into anime, this kind of story. And I just really hope that we get to see more series like it in the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Marion, Olive? Yeah. This was a great discussion. I was really happy. Even though, like, I... 
I'm sad that I wasn't able to like catch up entirely in English, but I'm looking forward to talking to all of you again, and especially like just like talking to you guys individually later because uh I've read like Japanese volumes, I know what's coming up, and there's some stuff that's gonna happen that I need like once it comes out in English, I'm like. I'm immediately jumping into everyone's DMs. <laughs> yeah, I've heard some yeah, rumors. Oh, I've excited. heard some rumors, but yeah, hop into my DMs about it because I will scream. I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> all right. We all have like a, a pact to like hop into each other's DMs. Marion just like DMs us that day and she's like, hey, so when's our next Yona podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm free such and such day. Yeah, let's just <laughs> like the day that volume is released in English. Just DM us being like, you don't know that it's happening in this volume, but it is. I've been not even. You know what? (laughs) I'm gonna coordinate because I know uh, the volumes go up on NetGalley for reviews. So I'm gonna be like, okay, we're all gonna get the early review copies. We're gonna (laughs) we're gonna get into it. We're gonna write about it. Oh, that reminds me. I've got to get my volume 31 review in before because it's coming out in August. Nice. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Have you heard the good word? Well, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I have. It's funny you mention it. But yeah. Looking forward to it some more. Yeah, and all of you are spreading the good words. So okay. once again, give us the gospel. Uh, <laughs> God, I love Yona. It's basically, um, I, I echo everything Caitlin said as someone who my introduction to anime and manga was like Fushigi Yugi and Fruits Basket and things. Like, I love a good long slow burn kind of character study character drama and i -hmm. hope to see more series like it in that sense i know we'll never obviously get anything quite like it i don't think but it's great also good smile where's my figures i have a shelf that needs to turn into a shrine and i'm waiting with a wallet and it's all yours good smile where's my figures (laughs) And give us some poo poo plushes. <laughs> oh I my mean. god! Some nendroids, maybe. <laughs> maybe that'd be cute too. I would love a pop up parade exist. of Yona. Give me my Yona with her bow. Mm. Anyway, so that's my final thought. Thank you yeah. all for talking about my favorite series. This was wonderful. Well, thank you guys for joining us. This was a wonderful discussion about a really amazing series. I mean, my final thoughts on Yona is that I just loved it. I could not just read one volume at a time when I was reading this. I read multiple ones from sitting, and the only reason I ever stopped was because I had to, because I had to go somewhere, or that I just didn't have the other volumes on hand. I think Yona is just an incredible fantasy historical epic, and I think it has just some incredibly complex characters and relationships. I love what it's exploring with this idea of interrogating this idea of divine right to rule, who is most appropriate to be a leader and characters interrogating like what is best for themselves and best for the people around them. I think that Yona is one of the most fantastic character arcs uh, of a protagonist in any currently more any manga I've read. And there's so many other great character arcs in the series. Like we mentioned Taijun is just well, such a great redemption arc and such great growth, such great action, like incredible battle scenes, like uh, Kusanagi is such a versatile artist, and yeah, and I would concur with Caitlin and Olive, like if you are missing this kind of classic type of historical uh, fantasy shoujo on akin to Fushigi Yugi and Red River from far away, or even Inuyasha, even though Inuyasha's own, like 
this is so up your alley. Like, this will bring you back to those kind of stories. And it's like updated the kind of more modern uh, gender politics. It kind of smooths over some of the baggage some of those older works too. And uh, in general, though, if you like just action adventure, historical set stories, historical fantasy stories, like if you love Berserk, you're going to love this. Yeah. Like, I, we didn't get to it in this podcast, but there's just <laughs> so much of Gods and Griffin and the Hawks who on relationship. Yeah. But oh, I shit. see, I didn't even and, like oh, Hawk man. is God. like I feel Hawk is so inspired by Guts, especially with his glaive it, and like some of the expressions he makes. He reminds me so much of Guts, oh, yeah. and I think that if you love a story like that and stuff like Berserk, Linlin Saga, and the like, like you are going to love Yona too. It is just as epic and excellent a story as those. Oh, yeah. If so, you love the character so and relationship drama element of Berserk, oh. Yoda is it, guys. Absolutely. It's really interesting that you say that because we know that Berserk was inspired by shoujo manga. Yeah! Absolutely! Griffin and Guts were inspired by shoujo. Thank you. Thank you for saying it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And... Miura was a fan. Miura drew illustrations for Yona. Like, he drew fan art for Yona. Oh, he did. So, it's indeed. a good fan art. I, forgot about that. I wish I could get that as an actual you. print. It's beautiful. I didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, again, uh, we a hearty recommendation from Yona, and this is not going to be the last time we'll talk about this. Uh, you'll see a follow-up addressing some other questions that we got from fans on Reddit very soon we apologize for not getting to them on this podcast but thank you so much for how many questions you sent and being so enthusiastic we'll definitely get to them in a future podcast but for now we're going to wrap up with just one final fun question we got off of twitter and that comes from the gender queer engineer at Schrodinger's Matt who asked you know we all want a season two and three and four of Yona but do we think it would be a good choice for a stage production and if so who would we like to cast um, I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't have any, like, actors in mind that I could really suggest because I don't really dabble in this kind of thing a lot or if at all. But I do think this would make a good stage play. Like, I, I could I could see it. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, it's been made. I mean, if they can turn Naruto into a stage if play. If they can yeah. turn Skate the Infinity the into a stage play. They turn Haiku <laughs> into a stage play, I think. Bungo Straight yeah. Dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean there have been Yona stage plays in Japan. There's been yeah. like three of them, mm-hmm. and so okay, I mean I looked over the cast of them, and they all look the part. Like uh, they, the costuming looks really good, and I would just like a chance to, to watch these stage plays. So with this my cast. thing with that yeah. question, when I, you guys sent me that question, I was like, oh, so another huge Yona fan. Um, I don't know if any of y'all have seen her whimsical pictures. Ray, yeah, um, love her. She also has gotten me into Takarazuka Theater. And Ooh. now I'm super Ooh. into it. And I could see this as being an awesome Takarazuka production. And yeah. I know they're not in the same troupe, but God, if we could get both Rei and Kato in as some of the dragons, I would lose my mind. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, Takarazuka is the all- female theater troupe and so like women play the roles as men and like if you follow kageki shoujo there's that aspect of they're kind of divide up and they train to take on the male roles and things like that it's great um god my my queer heart loses its mind every show but anyway thanks whimsical pictures for getting me hooked on that but yeah i would love to see kato and ray in a dream cast of yona 
Mm. Yeah, Takarazuka Yona sounds awesome. Oh yeah, I'd love that to see that. That would be really cool. All I ask for is uh, whoever, whoever voice, uh, whoever does Jha to have as as uh, was said earlier, an equally fucky <laughs> voice. That's all we need. For <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of those those uh, otaku yaku oh. actors are they have some pretty invent pretty. Uh, they're fucking great. voices. Oh yeah, they're great. I I recently watched their recent Romeo and Juliet production, and oh, that was great. That was great. <laughs> I, I feel so bad. I am forgetting her name, but oh my god, the actress who was playing Mercutio. I'm like, I'm in love with you. Marry me. <laughs> nice. So yes, oh. I think that would be a really cool production, personally. Hmm. Yeah. And that was a fun question to end off on Mm -hmm. for now. I mean, again, we'll definitely reconvene in the future. But until then, I mean, once again, Caitlin, Mary, and Olive, thank you guys for joining us for discussion. This was a really fun time. My pleasure. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Thank you. And until next time, we reconvene. We gather the warriors of the Apostles of Yuna up again. Let us know where folks can find you in your work. I guess, uh, let's start with you, Caitlin. Oh, you know, places. Um, the big <laughs> ones are, I mean, currently the biggest one to find me on is Animanias Network, where I do reviews. I just wrapped up the preview guide. Uh, <laughs> um, most of what I do for Anything these days is editing, but I occasionally am able to get an article together to put up there. Um, and, you know, Every article that is posted, I touch. So there's always a little bit of me in there. Um, you know, I cut my finger and then I bleed onto the keyboard to just like get my <laughs> essence into it. No. Um, uh, you share your powers like the dragon gods. On yeah, basically. Dra- no, I um, more that I cut the article until it bleeds words and then I put my words in there like a transfusion. Um, <laughs> but it's always the writers ideas and concepts so you don't think that we're just completely changing things um no so those are the two main places and then i have other articles scattered around the internet and on twitter i'm alt soon a l l t s u n underscore no dare n o d e r e um i shit post a lot i talk about how much i love my husband occasionally i tweet about anime <laughs> So yeah, find me there. Nice. Definitely check out all the piece and stuff. We definitely recommended a lot of it before. As we have Marion. Marion, would you like to go next and let people know where people can find you in your work? Sure. I'm on Twitter. My handle is at microwavy. That e is before the V. I have a little card in my description with like all my other projects. Like Lum said at the beginning, like I co-host a lot of stuff. Uh podcasts in particular like a lot of shonen jump stuff like the demon slayer podcast sometimes uh, i guest on the my hero academia podcast there's a, the haiku one that's on hiatus right now the oversoul shaman king podcast we have a new uh with, with the dsp and the shaman king crew uh we have a new project that i am like the main host for it's uh it's called saturday night shoggy where we talk about uh shogaku khan manga uh which is great like Definitely check that out. Uh, we recently put out an episode interviewing the letterer for Die Dark, which is 
Kyuhari Shida's latest work on uh, South by Seventy Seas. That was a great discussion. Besides, like, podcasting stuff, I write uh, reviews and editorials for, like, a couple sites. Uh, the weekly Shogakukan edition blog at wsstalkback.blogspot.com. I haven't written anything recently just because it's been really busy with work mm-hmm. stuff. Lots of vaccines. Uh, I work Ooh. in a pharmacy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, oh, but we were talking about Berserk earlier, and I did put out, like, a, like a tribute or, yeah, sort of post for uh, Mira Kentaro. That's on ToonamiFaithful.com if you want to check that out. I did bring up the influence Shoujo had in it. So, yeah, that was, that That took a lot of, uh, like, that took a lot out of me, like my soul. I put four into that. Uh, so I, I would I would appreciate it if you check that out. Besides that, I have, like, my own little personal blog that sometimes I'll just, I'll review stuff there. Uh, that's at heavensdoorknob.wordpress.com. A little Jojo joke. Nice. Yeah, definitely check out all of Miriam's great work and that Berserk article in particular. It's just such a beautifully written tribute to him. So well done on that again, Marion. But yeah, and Olive, where can people find you and your work? Yeah. So predominantly right now, my work is on But Why Though, a geek community, and you can find them on just on Twitter at but why though PC because it's also a podcast network. You can find me specifically at all of the manga, A L L O of the manga, because I love my play on words. And I'm listed as all of the manga reader. Yes, it's a play on all of the other reindeer. Um, okay. <laughs> it's 110%. No, I, I... <laughs> that's exactly was my intent with it yes uh that was not anyone. lost on me that was great <laughs> <laughs> and there right in my pin tweet is kind of a link to my all of my work as well because i have written a few pieces as well for anime feminists actually how i met caitlin she was my very first editor when i started yes. doing freelance so nice yeah and i mostly on twitter do my thirsting and manga and anime although i used to do a lot of library halls those have not happened recently because i moved i just moved Mm. in june so i'm slowly congrats yeah thank you i'm slowly getting my life back together (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but i may tentatively depending on scheduling have some possible exciting announcements coming out so if you want to follow me look out for those Nice. Looking forward to those. We'll definitely share those when the announcement's made. But yeah, once again, guys, thank you again for joining us for this discussion. And I'm looking forward to us speaking in the future for another great discussion on Yona. But until then, I think we'll have to just go our separate ways for now as our journey continues. Until the dawn of a new dawn. The dawn Dawn of a new podcast. Yeah, that was way better. Dawn of episode two. <laughs> Season two. Yeah. Wow, it's just like Majora's Mask. <laughs> <sighs> okay. All right.
Thanks again to Caitlin, Marion, and Ala for joining us to spread the good word about Yona. It was a lot of fun to get her to screw together, and until the next time our happy angry bunch can get around Yona again, I want to leave y'all with some shout-outs to where you can find these fine folk and their recent work scattered around the internet like the dragons around Koka, waiting to be discovered. Starting off with a rec for more thoughts on the Yona anime, Caitlin hosted the Chatty AF podcast series, covering the show with first-time viewers Gabrielle Ekins of Anime News Network and Peter Phobian of Control and Ultra Fanny of them. And they had a good discussion on this series of episodes, on their evolving thoughts, on the characters and story of Yona. And it was fun seeing how their expectations were met or subverted as it went along. Anifam has also posted many other pieces that have touched on Yona in some way, including a piece by Dai that examines Yona as an example of a strong female protagonist in the reverse harem genre, and in a piece by D that explores Yoon as a valuable example of how a non-combatant character, especially a non-combatant male character, in fantasy stories can still have a lot of agency and an impact on a story, even if they don't fight, or in other words, you don't have to kick ass to be kick ass. Yona was also included as one of Anifem's top 25 anime of the 2000s, a much wordy recommendation. We always appreciate Caitlin's and Anifem's editorial and podcast content, and we hope to see even more Yona related material appear on the site in the future. But why wait for more Yona thoughts though when Olive's got all of the manga reviews you need? As mentioned before, her reviews of new volumes of Yona for Butwido are excellent. And she does a great job exploring everything the series is doing so well in every volume, especially in the most recent material being published in English. Olive writes prolific anime manga reviews for Butwido, so definitely check the site regularly to read her thoughts on many of the latest and greatest titles. You can also hear Olive's recent guest appearance on Shoujo and Dell, where she talks about another recent modern shoujo show she loves, Short Cake Cake by Sue Morishida, also of A Sign of Affection fame, which isn't a fantasy epic like Yona, but also has a lot of mature, nuanced character relationships and explorations of romantic feelings and friendships and a group dynamic that doesn't devolve into the usual tropes, but instead shows its characters engaging conversations about them and acting maturely and communicatively and respectfully towards each other, which is a really strong point of appeal in Yona as well. I really enjoyed what I have read of Shortcake Cake, and I am having a lot of fun listening to Off and Ashley's coverage of it, and I'm looking forward to their thoughts on the second half. So moving back to Budwido, their site deserves a shout out in of itself for all of the great podcast reviews, interviews, and videos they have produced, and they are helmed by just the incredibly hardworking and prolific Kate Sanchez, who recently mentioned that the site's been going through some difficulties in supporting itself financially, and they'll be open up crowdfunding later in the year. In the meantime, we highly encourage you to join the Budwido Patreon to show financial support their way and help compensate all our great writers like Kate and Ala for their work and maintain the site. The Budwido Patreon also has a lot of fun bonus content as incentives for becoming a member, like in our regular series of podcasts called Manga Trash, where, like Clara suggests, sees Kate and Arnasia discuss trashy, spicy, or smutty manga, 
And they also have other regular podcast series, like So I Was Thinking, which is a spontaneous discussion of a random topic on their minds, or Bourbon and Burdens, where they get drunk and discuss stuff going on in their lives. The amount of content that Wido produces and the community they've nurtured are truly outstanding. And they're an incredible site set by wonderful people, so please give them your support if you also enjoy their work. And finally, moving away from Yona, but moving on to our good friend Marion, the most active of their prolific podcast projects right now is Saturday Night Shaggy, which Marion is the lead host for. SN has recently celebrated Naoki Urasawa releasing his catalog digitally by covering Jigoro, a spinoff of his hit judo manga Yawara that collects a few stories about Yawara's grandfather Jigoro in his younger years and includes a few stray, unconnected one-shots. It was really fun to hear the SNS team discuss what makes Jigoro one of Arasawa's most fun and entertaining characters, how the stories in the collection fit into the main Yawara series, and reflect upon Jigoro's character, and how it really has not changed from his younger years into his elder years as seen in Yawara. And it's been great to hear them just muse generally about the strengths and weaknesses of Urasawa's storytelling, including a discussion of whether Urasawa is skilled at sticking the lang thing to a lot of his stories. But it's just great to see the SNS crew back at full swing, and hopefully we'll see them cover some more shoujo titles on their show. Much like Yona, although not Yona because it's a Hakushinja title, not a Shoggy title. But you know, there are a ton of great shoujo manga in the Shoggy umbrella that I would love to see them cover in the near future. And hey, don't be surprised if you'll see me come on their show on an upcoming episode discuss a title that I think reflects my interests quite well. There are even more shout-outs I'd like to espouse and spread even more great word, more love for Yona. But since we're splitting our Yona coverage into parts, I'm going to keep things simple and save my remaining Yona shout-outs for the next episode. But Yona is beloved by more than just the Dragon Warriors and the King of Koga and those of us who appeared on this podcast, and I'm looking forward to sharing and recommending other great folks to follow for more great Yona coverage and content in our next episode. But for now, for now though, it's time to set the sun on our shoutouts and wrap up for today and turn in until we see the light come in from another dawn. And with those shoutouts shouted out, once and once again, thank Marion, Olive, and Caitlin for coming on the show, talking about Yona with us. And of course, you'll be hearing them talking more about Yona with us in the second part of our conversation, answering all of your folks' wonderful Q&As on the series. So look forward to more thoughts on the story, characters, themes in that episode. But until that next time, we will leave you off where you can find us if you want to hear even more of our thoughts on other series as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Lum, why don't we start with you first? Where can the people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramiyasha on Twitter. It's Lum Ramiyasha in a variety of places like Animation Revelation and Analyst. Where it is a Lum Ramiyasha. That's where you can find me. You'll have to read my work on MangaRoads.com. we got a lot of books here and then. A lot of reviews planned to go up. So look forward to more on there. You can also find on there the other podcasts I do, Lung Squad, the USA After Focus podcast I go with my good friend, Andrew A.C. Yoshimura, where we discuss the wonderful and wacky world of Mukunakashi's Yurzi Yatsura. 
We've been having a lot of fun going through the manga, covering Riz's latest releases of the manga. And we are having a lot of fun talking about the movies now they're on Crunchyroll streaming and available on Discotech on Blu-ray. And we are so excited about the upcoming new anime that we have so many plans about what we want to cover when it comes out and how we're going to cover it. So it's a really exciting time for us. It's a exciting time for the Yosiyatsu fandom. If you want to follow us on our journey exploring everything going on with the series right now, definitely listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore squad. You can find us on YouTube by searching our podcast name in the channel bar. Lum Squad, you'll find the channel. And of course, we are on every podcast platform you can think of. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and of course, we cross-post episodes to the Manga Rats suite as well, and post episodes early on the Manga Rats Patreon. And if you enjoy the artwork and illustrations I do for our podcast, and the animations and illustrations I do in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colty. You can find me on Twitter, at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts besides this one that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, we're over there. If you click on the podcast page, you'll basically find links to uh, you know everything I'm doing, everything I'm not a part of anymore, and even links to a lot of my guest spots that I've done over the years. So if you're if you're interested in literally other any other podcasts that I might be doing at the moment, again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com and uh, go there. But as for Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode at MangaMavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at Patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you'll have access to select new episodes at the podcast whenever we have them edited. Basically, if we happen to have an episode edited, if we don't have a space to put it up on our main feed just yet, we will upload it to Patreon first at the $2 tier. But admittedly, that also depends on our schedules, what we have done, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so basically, if you want more reliable content, you should sign up for our $5 tier, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. Our newest bonus podcast right now is our discussion of Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, both the movie and the manga, where we had our good friends Kate Sanchez on from But Why Though, as well as Sam Leach from the One Piece podcast. It was a really fun discussion, just fun to have a Jujutsu Kaisen discussion in general. And so, yeah, if you were looking for more Jujutsu Kaisen talk, you should go listen to that. Again, that's at the $5 tier at patreon.com slash Mavericks. Supporting us on Patreon, it really is the best way for you guys to support us. Any money we use on our Patreon, we put it back into website and podcast hosting. So, you know, it's the best way for you guys to support us. Once again, patreon.com slash Mavericks. But as for everything else, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks. Or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mangamavericks, where, where you can find different excerpts of the podcast, even some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, youtube.com slash mangamavericks. Please subscribe. Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. You know, do you have any thoughts on Yona of the Dawn that you want to share with us? What are you reading? Uh, are you reading anything that maybe you want to hear us talk about on the show? So, you know, email us about manga or the podcast. We love getting your emails, so please send them over at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to podcasts, listen to them. We're on a bunch of different platforms at this point. 
but especially on Apple Podcasts and even on sites like Spotify. If you leave us a rating and a review, it really helps the visibility of our show. It helps us get out there to more listeners. And we just appreciate your feedback in general because, you know, whether it's positive or negative, we use any feedback we get to uh, help make the show that much better. But okay, that is going to be about it for this episode of the Manga Arts Podcast. This has been episode 198, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 199. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!